Hey, dentisting friends, this is Dr. Nacho. I'm so excited to be doing the Dental Nacho Supreme CE coming up soon. It is going to be 24 hours of live streamed virtual CE brought to you on your couch when you watch live. It counts as live. Miss an episode. It's going to be up in the group for the entire year. To learn more about this awesome opportunity, reach out to us at dentalnachos.com or email supreme at dentalnachos.com. My number one amigo, Rob, is going to be one of the uh, presenters for the Dental Nacho Supreme. It's going to be awesome. You're going to love it. It's going to be CE brought to you on your couch. Don't miss out. Welcome to the Dental Amigos podcast with Dr. Paul Goodman and attorney Rob Montgomery, taking you behind the scenes of the dental business world, all the things you didn't learn in dental school but wish you had. Rob is not a dentist and Paul is not a lawyer, but since Rob is a lawyer, we need to tell you that this podcast is for informational purposes only and shouldn't be considered legal advice. Listening to this podcast does not and will not create an attorney-client relationship. As is always the case, you should formally consult with legal counsel before proceeding with any legal matter. Learn more about The Dental Amigos at www.thedentalamigos.com. And now, here are The Dental Amigos. Hello, everyone. I'm Rob Montgomery, and I'm joined, as always, by the head nacho himself, Dr. Paul Goodman. Great to be here, Rob. I'm getting used to this uh, socially distanced start to the podcast. Yeah, I'll tell you. It's welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Dental Amigos uh, Social Distancing, uh, week five uh, of our social distancing uh, new uh, the new uh, the new reality, I guess, the new normal for podcasting. I, I look forward to being back in a room with you at some point in the near future, Paul. Whenever that's legal again, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and uh, here we are, April 15th, 2020. And uh, once again, we're streaming uh, the episode live via Nacho Zoom CE on TV. Paul, is that a is that a television network at this I'm, point? I'm working on it. It, it, if my grandmother here was here, she'd say it was a real network. So it's, it's a real network inside of here, but you know, Nacho Zoom CE on TV has uh, broadcast a lot of cool stuff, podcasts, CE courses, our first guest does stuff like this too. So I think, you know, uh, I kind of was talking about some unintended magical consequences of some of this stuff and, uh, you know, utilizing Zoom and connecting virtually uh, has been a big plus. Yeah, it's, it's been it's been great. And yeah, we're really, truly fortunate to get the guests that, that we've had. And here we are, it's the third installment of our dental world post COVID-19. And uh, we're talking to some more dental industry thought leaders that are gonna share their thoughts and insights you know, where they see the business of dentistry going post-COVID, and um, most importantly, things that dentists should be doing now and thinking about to prepare themselves for what's to come. Uh, for folks who missed the first episode with Dr. David Phelps, Jamie Amos, Jonathan Van Horn, Dr. Desiree Yazdan, and Dr. Sonny Pahuja, be sure to check that out. It's episode 66 and can be found in all the usual podcast places, iTunes and uh, Google Play, SoundCloud, uh, and then also uh, last week's episode number 67 with uh, Alistar McDonald, who was awesome, uh, and uh, Kirk Barrent, uh, Colin Carr, and Vivek Kendra. And uh, we're not going to let anybody down today. We have another all-star lineup of dental industry thought leaders. And uh, so uh, here's, the, uh, here's the menu for today. Uh, no nachos, no margaritas, Paul. Uh, just some great guests. We're going to kick it off with Dr. Mark Costas. Uh, as a dentist, a founder of the Dental Success Institute, many, many more things. Then we're going to talk to Tommy Newton, a healthcare real estate broker and principal of Excite Realty. Uh, then we're going to get into it with Jerry Jones, the founder of Jerry Jones Direct, a dental practice marketing consultant. We're going to talk to Thad Miller, the founder and president of DDS Match, 
And we're going to wrap it up with uh, the great Alan Schiff, CPA, a dental-focused CPA and president of the Academy of Dental CPAs. And so uh, let's kick it off with our, uh, our good amigo, uh, Mark Costas, uh, who's a third time uh, on the show. Uh, Mark probably doesn't need uh, an introduction, but for those few people who have been under a rock and don't know who Dr. Mark Costas is, he's an international keynote speaker, the founder of the Dental Success Institute. Uh, it's a company committed to helping dentists to achieve their full potential while recapturing their passion for dentistry. Obviously, a, a service and a message that's more important now than ever. Uh, Mark is also uh, an international number one Amazon best-selling author of the book, Pillars of Dental Success. He has a podcast, the Dentalpreneur Podcast, which has listeners from over 135 countries, and that's not enough. He runs mobile dental practices, speaks at dental forums around the world, and coaches successful practice owners to help maximize their profits in his mastermind groups. This is Mark's third time on the show, so be sure to go back and check out episodes 9 and 32 for some great discussions with Mark about practice management and leadership. And so now, without further ado, uh, welcome, Amigo, and thanks for being back on the show. Hey, Paul and Rob, thank you guys so much for having me. I'm uh, This is a comfortable position for me because I, I uh, batted... Uh, you know, leadoff batter the whole time I played baseball in high school. And it was just, it was, it was because I couldn't hit home runs. Right. So I would just, I would just pop one right over the second baseman every time I get on base, steal, steal second, steal third, and then somebody else would hit me in. So I'm just going for a base hit today. No home runs. That's um, all we need from you, Mark. <laughs> I just got to try to get on base. You chose the lineup based on what time people get up in the morning, Mark. So you were the top one at 3 a.m. <laughs> you know, you got 1 a.m. to 3 a.m. sleep. So you and Rob, I know it's a common theme people hear is that, you know, he only invites people on the pot. Well, I, you're, I'm the one who really had the relationship with you first, but you're, you're on Rob's side of, you know, you can tell us. Actually, I'll ask that just as a human question where we start. Is your wake-up time different now in the coronavirus crisis than uh, regular life? Well, I'm still trying to get to the office every day by 8 uh, at our business headquarters because we only have myself and Kay. So we're social distancing, and yeah. I'm not going to dental practices at all anymore, even for emergencies. So yeah, I mean, I I, uh, I I don't have to get up as early to beat my kids and my wife up because they've shifted their schedules to the natural wake up time, which is whenever they decide that they want to wake up. But uh, but yeah, I'm still about 4:30, 4:45. I get down. Um, I just recently got a sauna, which is my new favorite um, favorite toy. So uh, while I'm working out and doing my my morning routine of journaling, etc., the sauna is warming up. It usually takes about an hour to get to full full steam. And then uh, after I'm done with my workout, I hop in the hop in the sauna. So I need to find myself an extra hour every morning because that's my big indulgence in the morning. Nice. It's a nice, nice, nice indulgence. Yeah. You, you need to take care of yourself during these times. For so sure. For uh, sure. Mark, I've been excited to, to have you on uh, since, since we talked uh, about getting you last week. And, you know, I think, you know, we've had some great guests as we, we talked about it during the intro there. Um, I think we, pretty much there's a consensus and you know correct me if i'm wrong that things are going to be different post covid uh and i think that you know people need to really align their expectations and, and, and come to the grips with that reality what are you telling your consulting clients and your podcast audience and the people that you consult with and, and your team and your inner circle about what things you see coming to the dental industry and changes that are going to occur 
after things start to quote unquote return to the new normal, whatever that might be? Yeah, that's that's a really common and great question, Rob. Um, you know, if you haven't been in business for longer than 11 years, you've never experienced a market correction. Um, so a lot of people that listen to podcasts and that um, are actually active on Facebook, et cetera, are millennials or younger people that have never experienced what, what we're about to experience with this bear market, this market correction. Um, and those of us that have been business owners for longer than 11 years know that there's, there's three businesses. There's a business that you owned prior to the market correction. There's a business that you owned during the market correction or bear market. And then there's a business that you own after uh, the correction is over. And I've experienced that. I've experienced, you know, having a, a practice that was hitting on all cylinders. Uh, we could barely handle the new, uh, the new patient influx into the practices. I was a multiple practice owner back then too, uh, to, you know, massive retraction and having to, having to uh, make adjustments, make necessary adjustments just to stay in business. And then coming out of that to, you know, more prosperous times again for the last 11 year bull market. So, you know, my, my message is that you have to prepare. You have to start thinking right now about how you're going to be running your business because in an 11 year market expansion, you can pick up some pretty bad habits, right? You can, you can really hide a lot of flaws in your business model and a lot of holes in your bucket. You can produce your way through those and not even really notice it. Um, dentistry, we're lucky that when things are well, going really well, we can, uh, we can produce our way out of most problems. But uh, I, I will tell you that um, our flaws, the flaws in our inefficiencies will be much more um, face, uh, forward facing. We'll see them, we'll notice them. And uh, we just have to become much more sophisticated business owners. I know that's kind of a broad sweeping statement, but you just have to understand how a dollar flows through your practice, exactly where your new patients are coming from. Um, and I, I will tell you one thing that I think from a marketing perspective and from a patient um, attraction perspective, I think that there are going to be three different types of patients that we're going to be dealing with. There's going to be the patient that is ready to come in for their cleaning right now amidst all of this. They're not scared. They're, they're ready to, to come back tomorrow if you'd let them come back tomorrow. So those are, that's, one, that's one type of patient. The next type of patient is one that's kind of on the fence. You know, they, they're, they're, they're confident that this thing is going to pass, but they're interested to see what you're going to do as far as infection control when we go back to quote unquote business as usual, as usual. And then there's a third type that is terrified and they're listening to some of the talking heads out there that say that we shouldn't be shaking hands until 2022. And those types of people may or may not come to the dentist for a couple of years because they're going to be terrified based on, based on the messaging that's being um, uh, shared with the general public right now. So I think that if we're thinking about a marketing message, we have to account for those three different types of personalities. Those that are ready to come back now, those that are, that are on the fence and just need a little bit of urging. Here's what we're going to do as far as in, in enhanced infection control. Here's why you're safe. Here's why it's still important to come into your dental appointment now and not wait two years. And then we're going to have to be talking to, if we're interested in working with that group that's completely terrified right now and, and likely won't come in for a couple of years unless 
we market directly to them and, and let them know why it's safe and why we're the right choice to come back. I love this market. So I realize now of the five guests, I think you're, this is the only time it's two dentists to one Rob. So I might as well soak it up. But I love that you said that I was taking some notes for you. And, um, you know, we have to remember prior to the Corona, I, I love what you started with. I've been talking about BCV before the coronavirus crisis, PCV paused, we're paused right now. And then ACV, similar to what you said, and we all had those patients, you know, you go to a hygiene exam, you know, so you say to someone, hey, you know, you, you need two fillings. And they go, I was just here. And you look in their chart and it was three years ago. And I go, that's not just just, right? That's a yeah. weird version of just. And I think that's just a really important point because we're already dealing with people who were not their favorite place to begin with. Exactly. So they've taken hiatuses from going to the dentist. And I think it's critical to segment your patient population like that and, and survey them in whatever way that looks like so that you can kind of focus on this audience that is ready, or like you said, cautious, need urging. I really like that. Well, you know, that, that's an interesting point. I was thinking the same thing when Mark was talking about that. That third segment, the people that are terrified, you know, I think it's just like the same, like the difficult patient that you deal with on a regular basis, as you said, Paul, like, you know, how much time you should you really spend trying to make that person comfortable? I mean, if, if that's, say, just pull a number out of the air, 10% of your patient population, you know, how much marketing, you know, time, resources, and energy do you want to spend to try to capture these people that may not come no matter what you do? Right, right. And it's it goes without saying, I mean, it's the same with the fear-based uh, population and dentistry right now. So many people don't want to deal with that segment of the population that it opens up an opportunity for people that are willing to do that, you know, um, people that are into IV sedation, into, you know, oral conscious sedation. Those people um, have an audience and it might be a minority of the population, but if other people aren't marketing to them, then, then that is an opportunity. So you may decide that nobody else is going after these people. I know it's going to be uh, a little bit more work, but I'm going to actually uh, segment this this portion of the population, pull them into my office and reassure them, you know, maybe we're putting up YouTube videos of our negative pressure rooms and and all the different gadgets that we have, ozone therapy and stuff to, to make sure that it's ultra, ultra safe, as safe as it possibly can be. And maybe you want to wear that hat and, and pull those people in, but it's, it's, it, it's, a conscious decision that you have to make that you're if you're going to go after those people. That's also just great input. And I was talking with Rob about this and I was on with Linda Harvey today for a great hour. And, you know, we do all these things, you know, patients will write us reviews. Your office, Paul, is so up to date. All we have is an intro or a camera, but to them, that's up to date. So this might be the time where traditionally we don't think infection control is cool, but some of these things that we highlight that we thought were just normal that we didn't bring up, you know, it was kind of like you, I know you guys are nutrition experts for years. You know, they, they would start advertising stuff didn't have cholesterol, even though it didn't have cholesterol for years, they were now <laughs> highlighting it and yeah. saying, don't eat this. And we may be in that same space so that we can kind of get over these feelings. You know, fear is such a triggering word. Facts. It's really just patient feelings. It's people feelings. They're going to have the same feelings going to a movie theater, a restaurant, a dental office. I think I want to get ahead of them and have FAQs that my team and I know how to answer and highlight so that we can make those first two segments feel comfortable in our offices. Yeah, totally agree. And it might it might not even take major adjustments. It might be things, it might just be timing. Maybe we unwrap the blue paper in front of them instead of in the in the uh, sterilization room now. Maybe, yeah. we, maybe we bring everything out wrapped in, in paper and we 
open it in front of them. And then we wash our hands and then we put the, the gel on right in front of them. These are things that are happening anyway, but we just, we just kind of push these things to the forefront. And they might think that these are just additional things that we're doing to be extra careful when we were doing them all along. So it, it's just, it's just, just like everything else in dentistry, it, it's just putting yourself in the patient's shoes and, and making sure that you're coming off as, as conscientious and, and uh, compassionate. Yeah. And, and the key again, really just being focused and purposeful with what you're doing, you know, and I think too, it sounds like what you're saying is, you know, you have to kind of pick where you want to be and, and have a strategy and have something that you're able to deliver on it. If that's, you know, certain sterilization or certain ways to accommodate certain patients, then, you know, you want to go out and market that, but you also have to make sure that you're focused on actually doing it in the office, you know, like, and I think, you know, for so long, dentists have had the, we'll say the luxury of low default rates. And, you know, even if you screwed up, you still like, you still got by, you didn't go out of business. Um, mm -hmm. I think the people that, that there's going to be a lot less margin for error uh, coming back. And if you're not focused on doing things right, what used to be sort of a minor ding is now going to be a, a major uh, 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 issue for your practice. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. But what, what kind of things, you know, are there clinical things, Mark, that you're thinking about doing or specific things to, to attract some of these patients that may be, you know, reluctant to come back to the dentist and uh, things that you're doing in the office or what, what would you think about from a marketing standpoint, perhaps, you know, are you reaching out to those people with, with constant contacts, the text messages, or you know, how are you getting the message out to your patients? Yeah, I mean, I think that stuff is really important. Staying, you know, top of mind to patients is always going to be really important. I think that, you know, to take a page from the adjustments that we had to make in the last uh, recession, which I think was going to be mild compared to what we're going to be facing here uh, coming up in the next couple months once we open back up, um, a lot more single tooth dentistry, a lot more emergency type stuff. Um, we had to go from, you know, full mouth rehabs to doing quadrant dentistry. I think that if you have, you know, a fee-for-service practice, it's a really good idea if you don't have one already to get a membership plan in place and really start talking about that a lot. Because a lot of people that, you know, we're, we're facing double-digit double unemployment here. So a lot of people are going to be losing their medical and dental benefits. So those sorts of people still are going to need dental care. Um, they're going to be selecting different types of dentistry. But, um, you know, if you can stay front uh, and center with the fact that, hey, if you happen to have lost your, your dental benefits, good news, we have, you know, a, a dental membership plan here at the office, those sorts of things. I do think that it's really important to get back to basics. If, if this is uh, something that you haven't been comfortable doing in the past, I know it's not sexy, but single tooth implants, um, uh, molar root canals, and exodontia is huge. Um, uh, and, it, and it was, those are some major adjustments that we made in my group of practices uh, during the last bear market. So I think those sorts of things and actually trying to attract those types of patients um, rather than the, the, the home runs, you know, the base hits are, are good, but the, the home runs are going to be fewer. Um, patients are going to be willing to do those sorts of uh, procedures. Those $50,000 full mouth rehabs, I think are going to be um, fewer and far further between. I love, I love all that, Mark. We had Al Alistair, your great friend, on last week who was awesome. And I, I talked about an idea that I had. See, I think a little bit of this, like a, your, our practices have suffered an injury, right? You know, your favorite athlete or you, you can't go right back on the field and play four quarters of basketball, all the games, throw all the innings. You have to go through a rehab and then testing it out. And I had an idea for our practices 
to have like an exam day where we just have people come in and have exams done and we just sort of get to re meet them because I think patients aren't going to be so sure for two reasons. One, safety. One, the actual money. So if you just have this great touch point of saying, hey, come in, let's take pic- let's take x-rays, look in your mouth, no work. We're not doing any work this day. And then I just think that might be a great way to get people to kind of throw that one inning and get them back in a comfortable way. And one, one thing we haven't talked about, Rob and Mark, is it's also making our team feel safe too. Our employees feel safe. I mean, we haven't, what's crazy, no one's really talking about this. And I just kind of thought of it when you mentioned KNU, social distancing, same thing with me, Ariel, and Amanda. But now I think of my dental office. I haven't seen these people in now a month, people who you see all the time, shoulder to shoulder. We haven't seen them in a month. So they're part of that whole feeling of, apprehension too, you know? So it's, uh, I think starting off slowly in a way will just be a benefit to getting everybody back on the same page. I totally agree. I totally agree. I, they are, they have been kind of neglected in all of this. We are still holding, I just got done with one. We, we are still holding virtual um, weekly meetings for the team and we don't even have a lot to talk about. It's like, how is, is everybody getting their unemployment checks? Yeah, Has right. everybody seen the, the $600 bump in their unemployment check? Okay, now what are we going to talk about? Okay, I applied for the PPP, which means that uh, pretty soon you guys are going to have to come back, and we're going to have to figure out what to do with you at home and okay. pay you for, for for being at home. You know, but but more than anything, we're getting to see one another, and we're we're maintaining that rapport and and reassuring them that that we're still here working on their behalf and 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 uh, keeping our finger on the pulse of of the direction this thing is going, so that we can get back to business as usual as soon as possible. Yeah, that's great it's interesting. to connect with people like that. Yeah, it's an interesting point, too, that, you know, sort of going back into it slowly, because I'd imagine, too, Mark, you know, like your experience back, you know, in, in 2009 and, you know, the, the last really bad recession, you know, I, I would think that some things are going to work and some things are not. And you're not really going to know what they are until you start rolling them out, you know, and I would imagine that, you know, while we're here today to talk about planning and things to think about, mm-hmm. um, you're going to just have to play the hand that you're dealt when the time comes. So it's not like you can just take your team and just send them going, you know, full speed ahead in one direction. And then like a week later, like, Whoa, hold on. It doesn't look like that's the right thing. Let's reverse. And now we're going to go this way. And then people are looking at it like, what are we doing here? You know, um, which, you know, from, from a leadership standpoint is, is not a great place to be, but I think people, you know, and I, obviously I love dentists. We do a lot of work with dentists. But, you know, dentists are perfectionists. And I think, you know, there are a lot of people that are reaching out to me and having conversations. They want to know the right thing to do. And I respect that. You know, you should be thinking about what the right thing is to do. But this might be an instance where you're going to have to try some different things. Some things aren't going to work so great and some things will work better. And, you know, don't be afraid to try new things with your marketing, your your message to your patients, things that your team is doing. Uh, because uh, this is this is the time to try it, and and you don't know what's going to work uh, until probably you've tried some things that don't work. No, absolutely. I mean, I'm trying to take the playbook, the pages from the playbook of what we did uh, back in 2007, 8, 9, and 10, um, as you know, history. Hopefully, history will be repeating itself. We had some of our best years in the middle of the last bear market, but um, who knows? Who knows? You know, I. It, the bottom line is what you alluded to, Rob, you have to be nimble and you have to be able to pivot if something isn't working. Um, taking for granted that your your action plan, your playbook is gonna work um, 
exactly as you scripted is probably very, very unlikely. And that, Mark, I think I'm very comfortable with that. I don't know if from my upbringing, my background, being a server, I like testing things out. I mean, we just got a great comment from a, a friend who said, you know, consumers may be more in a health-minded mindset. If we think about it, they might not have seen a, a doctor of any kind in three months. So maybe we can use this opportunity to transform some of our messaging. You know, we're, we're someone who screens and helps on the medical front, and maybe that's part of that exam or comprehensive exam or recall exam. And I, I think that was a great suggestion there. And I mean, of course, you know, not to throw our conversation into a totally different space, but they're now talking about all different ways to get tested for this. Maybe dentistry is going to be part of it. So, you know, yeah. if you kind of keep yourself open-minded with your products you're delivering, you know, now might be a time to deliver a slightly different product with a different message that still fits comfortably into our dental space. Oh, totally, totally. And, you know, I can't even tell you when we were seeing emergencies only for that period of time, um, the fact that we were taking temperatures and we had a very in-depth kind of um, questionnaire, a verbal questionnaire, where have you traveled to lately? Um, you know, just those sorts of precautions, people were so impressed. And if we could just continue with that kind of leading in that direction for more of a healthcare model than just a like a tooth care model, I think that I think this is a great time to reset and, yeah. and change the way that we, you know, we greet patients and the way that that we um, take them through the, the process of uh, patient care for sure. Hey, there's a, a question uh, from uh, from Facebook, which I think is good. And it's really kind of on point with what we're talking about. You know, when do you suggest that st- that dentists start to market through this? Should they start promoting now? or wait until the lockdown is over. I, I have a couple of thoughts, but I want to hear yours first, Mark, and then you, Paul. Yeah, I apologize if you disagree with me um, because I'm just going to give my opinion. <laughs> but, uh, it's a safe uh, space. You know, this is it, this is very, very interesting, and, and I'll expand this a little bit. It's been interesting to watch how divisive this whole, this whole pandemic crisis has been. You know, almost immediately there's a line drawn in the sand and people are saying, I can't believe you're still open. I can't believe you closed so soon. You didn't give dentistry a try. You know, um, uh, your patients deserve to be seen no matter what. Uh, It is your responsibility to keep them out of the emergency room. On the other hand, how dare you, um, you know, risk being a super spreader. And it's still continuing to now. There's there's a whole lot of judgment judgment being cast in both directions and people have great reasons for for being concerned and people have great reasons for their opinions but um, it does leave a bad taste in my mouth the way that people interact with their colleagues sometimes so i'm just going to get that out in the out amen the right now. amen <laughs> it's just it it it, it, uh, it make, it's disheartening let's just say that um, now regarding even talking about money uh, is a little bit of a taboo subject in certain circles right now in any way. And I totally get that. We are still in the middle of a crisis. People are still getting infected. People are still dying. We have, uh, you know, most of us are one person removed from somebody that's been directly affected by this. So at this juncture, I would say it may be poor taste to start a massive, aggressive Facebook campaign about getting people back into your office when this thing all, all, all blows over. But I would say that now is the time that that we have some space and uh, some quiet time to reflect. Now is the time to be putting those plans together. Um, Back to your question, when is the right time? uh, Or the Facebook question, when is the right time? I think we're gonna have to kind of of wait and see how things go. I hear that the curve is flattening. 
Um, I hear that uh, less deaths are occurring now. So I, I think we're going to have to wait and gauge to see what the overall feeling is, not just in the media, but in our own personal communities. So I think that's a very personal question. I don't think that we could give a blanket statement and say, you know, two weeks before we plan on opening, regardless of what's happening in the, in the, in the, in the mass media, no matter what's happening in, in our personal communities, I think that you should release this marketing campaign on pay-per-click, you know, direct mail radio. And here's exactly what your message should be. I think more than ever, this is gonna be a very nuanced personal message that has to be intentional about which segment that we were talking about earlier, you're going after. So um, right now, I don't think it's time. Um, it might be right around the corner, but I think it's too early. And I think people are just very raw still uh, and hurting from, from um, the, their financial effects and what's happening you know, uh, from, from a healthcare perspective in their communities. I, I like what Mark said about, you know, we are a group of people who get in cursing fights over a PFM versus zirconia crown. So <laughs> since we never really had much openness in dental school, we always have a right or wrong, you know, either crown prep sucks or is perfect. So unfortunately, some of that has happened. Maybe dentists can use this time since we're all on social media to maybe train themselves to interact or help train themselves with Dental Nachos, Dental Success Institute podcast, that we can share ideas that are conflicting in a way that we bring about um, learning and we can disagree without being disagreeable. So totally on board there. But yeah. I had a Facebook like, yeah, go ahead. Oh, if I could, you know, and I think Mark makes a great point. And, you know, this is one of the things that's great where, you know, a lot of people are able to share information and people all over the country, all over the world can collaborate. But this is, this virus and, you know, how it's affecting communities from a, a disease control standpoint and also from an economic standpoint and from a government reaction standpoint is so varied. So, you know, if the question is, you know, when do you start to market your practice? It depends. Are you in Dallas, Oklahoma City, Miami, Phoenix, or New York City? Um, because I think there's probably very different answers to, you know, to that question in each of those places. And I think it's just gonna be important, I think, as you said, what that message is. And it's gonna be crucial for that message to probably be different than the message that you had pre-COVID. There's, you know, there's, there's, two different, uh, there's two different definitions or the definition of opportunistic really is context-based, right? So you can, you can say that somebody is, is opportunistic and mean that in a positive way. And in a, in a crisis like this, you can call somebody opportunistic and it's completely negative. You know, they're trying to take advantage of something that's happening negatively in the environment. And that is when it is a negative. So you just have to be careful. The timing is so, so crucial. Um, but, you know, I, I don't I want think to be your word ahead. choice is all it's all about word choice. I mean, I have a number of best friends. Mrs. Nacho, she loves that name. My brother. Also, here's my best friend. My phone is one of my best friends. And that's how I've been handling our our patients. And my Jeff and I have worked hard. So I think this is what I wrote down was. And it struck me yesterday on a Facebook Live with a marketing company. I want to market availability, not openness. I want us to market that we're available through teledentistry, which could be your phone, could be a platform. So we're available to our patients, mm -hmm. but we're technically, we're not open. And I think that can help our patients and help us and be the perfect message. We're available, we're not open because we have managed all of our emergencies through teledentistry, our phone, and we've had one endodontist help us out one time. And it just shows you that you can manage your patients and be available to them without having to go in. So that's my 
point is I think we should market and whatever marketing means, not and Mark made some good points, doesn't have to be pay-per-click, doesn't have to be SEO, just market that you're available. You might not be open because we're not open. I mean, that's what, if Alves well, marketed that it was open and I ran there and it was closed, I would be frustrated. But if Alves says we're available, we're doing takeout, we have special dinners. So I think dentistry can learn from some of these other industries that have transformed and marketed this way throughout. Well, I'd say there's a difference too. If we're talking about marketing or communicating with your patients, I mean, I, I don't think it's a bad idea to communicate with patients right now. I mean, as you said, Paul, I'm the only non-dentist here, uh, you know, I'm, I'm outnumbered, but you know, as a patient, I see in the paper, uh, only emergency procedures, you know, uh, dentists are, are able to see. Uh, I, I don't, I mean, even as involved in the dental world as I am, I don't necessarily know what that means. Right. You know? and, and so, you know, what types of things should you be doing from a dental hygiene standpoint? There are things that you can do to really educate and stay in touch and show your parents, uh, your patients that you still care about them yeah. without trying to sell them on dentistry. I mean, mm-hmm. this is the time to be the, the leader of your of your profession you are you could either you know choose to be the one that educates your patients as to what they should expect from a dentist now and post-covid or you could leave it to the news outlets you know like if i'm the dentist i think i'd rather control that conversation than leave it to somebody else who doesn't know what the heck they're talking about whether it's the media the government the state boards you know all these you know, dental associations i mean they're not helping matters from a from a patient per- perspective Oh, amen, brother. And that the truth. Cool. Hey, uh, Mark, thanks so much for uh, for taking the time. It's always uh, always great to have you on the show. Uh, for uh, the people who are listening and on the uh, the webinar now, how can people uh, get in touch with your organization? Learn more about you. Oh wow, geez, thank you so much, guys. This was fun. This was fun. It was a action packed half hour. Uh, easiest way to get in touch with me is to go to uh, let's see. There's so many. Uh, go to my Facebook group, which is uh, Dental Success Institute Facebook group. You can catch my podcast, which is the Dentalpreneur podcast, between a five and seven day a week podcast, depending on how much content we have for that week. Uh, anywhere where you find podcasts. If you guys are interested in our closed community, we're giving away free memberships right now. The dentalsuccessnetwork.com forward slash free 45. Um, uh, Jeff and Paul are both in there. Um, it's a closed closed community, but I think that some of the best information right now, topically, about what we're, what's going on right now, we have over forty um, faculty members in there, and uh, it's a great community. So hey, hop on K-Nary, over and pick up that, a free. Hey, Ariel, put that into the Zoom chat that link that we have for that because that's a great opportunity for people to feel like they're part of something. And there's and you can be part of multiple groups, and there's never too too many great groups to be a part of. And Mark, I want to tell you when it's legal again. I got you a gift. Um, there's only one reason to work out, and that's for, for more nachos. And I cut oh, this yes. off. So we'll leave it at nacho headquarters for when it's legal to come back here. So I'll wear it just for you, Paul. My wife does not allow me to wear T-shirts with the sleeves cut off. Okay, fine. For Just for me, just for a photo op. But, yeah, it's, it's there. Um, thanks for everything, Mark. Really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Take care. Keep on doing the great work you're doing. Thank you. You too, Mark. It's, it's great. You do awesome stuff. And, hey, Paul, what do you think about doing a podcast five to seven days a week? Yeah, I know. We got to catch up. It's hard to catch up to him. He keeps keeps podcasting. So. <laughs> I'm not even going to try. They, but he, we're going to give Mark that title. Um, yeah. Well, uh, I'm, I'm not. I'm not interested. Yeah. Anyway. Yes. Uh, but always great to have Mark uh, on the show, and you know, does great things for for dentists, and you know, and uh, it's it, it's awesome to see during times of crisis that we're going through. You know, the the leaders are stepping up and 
and you know, Mark uh, giving the free membership to the Dental Success Network to people and, and just being yeah. there and being available is just so important. And, you know, it's inspiring, I think, for, for all of us to, to have guys like that out there. Really great. Uh, next uh, up, uh, so we've got uh, Mark's on first. I'm going to say, yeah, but maybe he got a second. You know, he was yeah. like a group double. You double know, like that. And he hustled and made it to second. So, you know, batting second for us here now, uh, we have Tommy Newton. Uh, Tommy Newton is the founder and uh, principal of Excite Realty, which is a real estate and practice transition brokerage firm. Tommy has over 10 years of commercial real estate experience throughout the U.S., Europe, and Mexico and works out of the firm's Austin, Texas office. His healthcare real estate brokerage and development experience consists of representing dentists and many other healthcare professionals with their commercial real estate needs, including specialized build to suit projects, creative lease structures, sale leaseback arrangements, and the purchase and disposition of office, retail, medical, and industrial products with numerous commercial land transactions. And uh, we had Patrick Valence on the show uh, a little while ago, who is uh, Tommy's partner and just great content. And uh, we do a lot with uh, with Tommy and, and his folks. So uh, I have the pleasure of working with him and chatting with him on a, on a regular basis. And we talked a little bit briefly uh, earlier today. Um, and uh, so this is Tommy's first time on the show. And thanks. Uh, thanks for joining us, amigo. I'm honored. This is great. Nacho, I get yeah, to see thanks, your face. Tommy, this is so. Who knew leases could be so interesting? Oh, I know, right? I hear one of Rob's good jokes. He goes, uh, "Without an office, it's just dental. So you need a dental office. So leases, uh, way more interesting than you think. I thought I'd need this entire bottle of wine to get my lease episode down, but maybe just half. So I'll let Rob take the lead. But I always, always interested how exciting leases could be. That's why you named your company Excite Realty. So there you go. Right. I want to make sure everybody knows what we do or at least try. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm going to sound like a, like a, a real estate legal geek, but I mean, I think it is a fascinating subject and, you know, real estate is one of those things that as Mark Costa spoke about business cycles and, you know, what happened uh, 11 years ago or so in this country with the recession, you know, uh, here we are again, you know, in a very, challenging economic time. And, uh, you know, the, what's happening in the real estate world is really significant to all the businesses. As you said, Paul, you know, without a dental, without an office, you can't have a dental office. So not the sexiest of topics to some dentists, but, you know, certainly an important one. And, uh, you know, if you get your dental office real estate wrong, or you're paying too much, it could be a, a runaway overhead uh, item. But now more than ever, you know, it's about the place, you know, and you know, people uh, are going to have certain expectations from a, a hygiene standpoint and infection control. And, you know, I think that your office is Im more important now than ever. So excited, Tommy, to hear uh, what you're seeing out in the, the dental real estate world with leases and build outs and acquisitions and some things that you could share uh, with our uh, our attendees and our, our podcast listeners. Yeah, no, I'm happy to. I hope it's helpful. I'll just kind of go through some of the day-to-day -day calls that we're having. Um, you know, our company has three main divisions. One is real estate, and that piece is mainly startups for dental and other medical uses. Another one is, is acquisitions, and another one is project management and development. So having that, we get to see challenges in each of those sectors. 
um, and how they relate to each other. Uh, because someone who has an office that's going through construction right now has some different challenges than someone who's been open for four or five years or someone that may have, you know, five offices or someone that's looking to sell their office. Right. So there's just a lot there, but they're all related to real estate uh, um, in some fashion. So at first, when everything kind of hit the fan, the market drops 2000 points right away. You know, it's a little unbelievable. You're getting a lot of phone calls. And what we did at first was really just help all of our clients understand how to go communicating with their landlord and what their options were going to be for any sort of rent relief, just depending on their unique situation. And I've listened to you guys podcast, um, you know, kind of through this series and it's been great. Everybody's hit on really good points. And one point that I've heard a lot is it is situation to situation. Um, this is a great time for while you're, I guess, not seeing patients to go back through and understand what does my lease say? What is my business situation? Um, this is kind of when people get disciplined, get skinny with their finances and kind of get right sized. And, and that happens on the real estate side. I mean, so, I don't want to interrupt you, but could you just, you just said something really important. And I, me as a dentist, we have two locations, one we own, one we're at. When you just said you talk with your clients, what are some of their options for relief just in the most basic menu options. They have to pay, they can defer, they don't have to pay. Could you just help our audience? I know there's, we have 200 people on Zoom and, you know, people on Facebook Live, I know they would just, who might be thinking, how am I going to pay my rent for May 1st? Could you give us some insight there? First thing you want to do is be prepared for the talk with your landlord or their representative. And that can be their broker, it could be the property management company, or it could be directly with the landlord. And your lease is going to say how communications work there, right? Who do you contact? And usually you're in touch with someone, right? Uh, if you have a property management issue, that's the place to start. Um, you're going to look at probably rent deferment versus rent abatement. And the most common structure that we've seen right now is a landlord giving you a month to three months of rent deferment, but they don't want to just put it on the end of your lease term. What they would like to do is amortize that deferment over the next 12 or nine months. They're trying to get repaid that as soon as possible. When does that clock start? Hopefully when everybody's able to go back to work, uh, but it depends and it's gotta be a little bit fluid. Um, if you go to your landlord or have your, your broker or representative go to your landlord and you've already, you've already got all your financials in order, know what your burn rate is. Be able to tell them what you're doing with your employees. Be able to tell them, yeah, how much this is costing me and what's costing me and what I'm trying to do and what my plans are for when we do open so that I'm going to be successful. Like, let them know that you're just not sitting there going, Oh, you're the first guy I called. I need a couple months of free rent. You know, this is going to be great. No big deal. No, go through and also communicate with them that you understand that they have a mortgage or, you know, they have employees. I mean, that this isn't free. Also, be creative. At first, when we go to landlords, a lot of times their initial responses were, hey, here's the PPP plan. Here's all this information. You need to go there first and then come back to us. Well, we didn't take that as an answer. We still go back into into, you know, you can still help us out in this time. I mean, maybe you can just get some some base free rent and still pay triple nets, help them pay the expenses of the building taxes and insurance. There, Tommy, that I didn't really know was a possibility because I don't know the rules of, of leasing. So you're basically saying if you had a $9,000 a month place, you could and you could pay an extra $1,000 over the next nine months to make up for that one month. And that might be 
And I find that to be very creative. And, and I, I, I'm, think, I'm sure that just that one thing helps some people out there because that's a possibility in the conversation. With it is. And anything is. All right. What if they, what if he says or she says, your landlord says, I can't do that. I've got a mortgage. You know, I'm only making X amount per month on your space. Well, how about I pay you half rent for the next six months? And then I'll pay you the rest of that over the next 12 months or 18 months. Like it's, it's negotiable at this time. There's not. Something, and I don't know how this works in, you know, in Rob's legal world, but maybe similar, but as a dentist and a practice owner, we've been on the other side of that from patients who were going to pay and can't pay. And it always feels good when they pay something. It's just That's a right. good feeling when they pay something. Oh, you didn't bring your, you know, when they said and bring my checkbook credit card for $3,000, and my team says, well, can you do $500 on your credit card? It just, it's a relationship builder, right? And so I, I think that's a great point. Well, let me say that's this. Right. Tommy, Tommy makes an excellent point. Like, you know, and you have to show up with something reasonable and you have to be prepared. It's not just like, hey, it's coronavirus. I don't want to pay my rent. That, yeah. That's probably not a good strategy, right? So you want to come in prepared, like he said, you know, offering to pay something. I would also say this is a conversation that the practice owner should be having with the landlord. And two things there, the practice owner, not delegating this to somebody on your team, right? You go to them with your, your, your hat in your hand and say, hey, you know, I'm a business owner. I realize that you're a business owner too. Let's talk about, you know, our mutual problems and how we can solve those. And I think it also, the last thing is, it's a conversation. This is mm -hmm. not something, I mean, you can open up the dialogue and say, hey, I'd really like to have a conversation with you about, you know, send an email saying, I'd like to have a conversation with you about the situation. But, you know, I don't think, Tommy, that it's effective to just fire out an email saying, I don't want to pay rent for the next three months, right? No, not at all. Not at all. We, we drafted an email that we gave to all of our clients. They could fill in the blanks and send to start that, that communication, ask for a conversation. And, and with that, they would, we had a spot for them to attach documents to show what they're sending their patients, what they're sending their employees, how they're shutting down, you know, all these things so that it's just what you said. It's preparation, um, but you're exactly right. There's a human element here. Let's 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 be humans here first and talk to each other about both challenges and see if we can come to something that will help out. If you need to escalate it, there, you know, th there are options for that. But what you'll find 95% of the time, you don't have to. Uh, and you've got a long-term partnership with whoever your landlord is, whether you like it or not. It might be a great opportunity where you maybe you guys have had a spat over maintenance or something in the past. It could be a great opportunity to rebuild a relationship, and you just never know when you're going to need them or they're going to need you. So if you come in with this, you know, iron fist approach, it could really backfire on you later because even though that lease document that's the rules that's what's set out we all know that if both parties agree things can change and i, I just want to ask because we're getting a lot of great questions for you tommy and rob i have one from one of our most awesome nachos uh if people are trying to said this is the first time they heard this and they said oh i got to talk with my landlord and maybe you know it's not someone they have a relationship with can they work with people like do they work with people like you guys to help them have this conversation uh how do those things usually work or rob do they work with an attorney if, oh. if it's Here's, big faceless corporation who they don't know who that person is, what would they, who would they work with? I don't think it's, a, I don't think this is the time to get lawyered up with that. I mean, we've consulted with clients. We've told them what they should say, uh, but behind the scenes, you know, I like for them to say it in their words. We prep them. Um, it's, it's, I think it's, it's a hard, uh, you know, pitch to make if, 
you're saying you can't afford to pay the rent and you're paying a lawyer to, you know, to be your mouthpiece. You know, there's a time and place for that. Um, when you're trying to get a little bit of a, you know, economic concessions, it's not the time to show up with counsel. I, not in this instance, I don't think. Uh, Tommy, you know, your situation's a little different, but you, you could speak to what you think. And But, you know, we still, when they ask us to get involved, we're going to do that first. Educate them on the situation. Make sure they understand the creativity of options that they have that a no is not just a no. Let's dig into that a little bit. What are your pain points, Mr. or Mrs. Landlord, and move from there. Um, you know, and with us, it's a little bit, if we do need to get involved and we didn't originally do the transaction, you know, we have to come in as well and make sure that that landlord knows that we're not sitting there trying to grab a fee for something or do anything along those lines. We're yeah. simply building a relationship, you know, with a dentist. And we have relationships with landlords too um, to try to get deals done and and uh, make sure that, you know, they're moving forward and, and that they're good and fair transactions. Uh, but I think you're exactly right when you said this is a kind of a principle to principle conversation first, owner to owner conversation first. But uh, be, being coached at first is, is also very good. Yeah. So, Tommy, uh, what other things are, are you seeing that, you know, you think it's important for our dentists uh, well, to know? Kind of what, what I'd like to get into, and I've, I've listened to the series and some of the, the guys that you had on before me, some really great points and talk through some options that you have. Um, I'd like to get some, get a little granular on some things that you could do right now in this situation. Uh, and a little bit of that is going to be with certain if you, if you want to come in, say you're in the middle of your lease and you can get some rent deferment or abatement, that's great. But if you know you're going to be there long term, always remember, give something to get something. What you can usually give is security and term. Um, and I know a previous guest had talked about that. And landlords at some point, uh, depending on how this goes, a lot of them haven't really felt all the pain yet. Uh, we're not seeing defaults across the board, not closing their doors completely. We'll see what happens when everything opens back up, who actually opens back up or not. That's when the pain points are going to start to be getting to landlords. And that's when, if you do want to look at a blend and extend, which is an option to extend your lease, but maybe reduce the rent that you're at right now or get some different, um, different uh, uh, economic terms. And what I mean by that is, if it's an it's a it's a chance for right now if you're going to stand there for a long time if you would have done this deal at the top of the market which we've been in uh, a great bull market for a while it was really hard to get items like reserve parking um certain uh assignment rights that were really important if you're going to sell your practice in the long term um certain caps on operating expenses maybe repairs caps on repairs of hvac there are a lot of non-economic terms that you could go to a landlord with right now. If you go back and review your release or talk to a real estate broker or attorney and just understand what may not be the most reasonable now that what we're looking at. So you don't have to always go in if you're looking to, you know, maybe just set yourself up for the longer term and just try to reduce the rental rate or get free rent, something along those lines. Uh, Something that a landlord could get is they could give you reserve parking. Um, a lot of times renewal rights, you get two five-year renewal options and the landlord might stick on, they want the market rate to be at that time, negotiated at that time. The reason for that is you're a captive audience. They know it costs a lot for you to move. 
and odds are the market's going to be going up. Of course, you have these events where it goes down, but a lot of times that language, as you know, Rob, will state, hey, we're going to negotiate market rents at that time, but it'll never be below what it is right now. Now could be a good time to go in and renegotiate a term like that. Um, the assignment language, a lot of times, bad assignment language can get in the way of a transition. It's great to go back through and make sure the assignment language is correct and will allow for um, an assignment and will have timelines involved with how long the landlord has in order to give you approval or denial of that assignment and other terms related to who can you assign it to. And usually there's terms along the lines of, you know, greater or equal to net worth at that time. Expand exclusivity. Maybe you came in and did the original deal and all you could get was exclusivity on general dentistry. But now you've been there for four or five years. You really want to get into ortho or pedo or you want to bring in an endo one day or week or whatever it may be. Now would be a great time to go back and, and try to get that exclusivity for one of those specialties or all of them, especially if nobody else is in the shopping center. And a lot of times when you're in that shopping center and do that original deal in its first generation space, they wouldn't give you that because they were hoping an ortho would come, that you would attract an ortho or something along those lines. That's not happening. Now you can go back and say, we really want to do this. And I think that also shows the landlord the, the continued commitment of being there and that things are going good. And then you're set. That's positive. I mean, you know, this landlord is likely to lose 30 to 40 percent of restaurants. You know, there's a good I chance. Say, Tommy, I, I don't want you just uh, sharing so much valuable stuff. But I just want to jump in as the only dentist here. It's, and Rob and I have talked about this. It's like, you know, the landlord's stuck with you. You're kind of stuck with the landlord because while it's hard to move, it's also probably challenging to find another dentist to take over the space. So probably working out a way. And, you know, it's probably a great time to educate landlords on the passion dentists have for their business, the goodwill they put into their business and how they want to keep it going and how, you know, if they look at this bump in a road together and hopefully get on the other side of this and then be back to being uh, in a good space long-term, you just think, you know, I mean, I was going to ask you because it's your world and I was like, can landlords evict dentists for not paying their rent? I mean, would they even want to do that? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm just, just curious, is there, what's the rules or le legalities of that? Yeah, I would, I would defer to Rob for that, but I couldn't imagine someone trying to evict someone at this point in time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, I, I will say that, you know, we, we see enough, you know, we deal with enough deals around the country. I'm, I'm sure there's a couple of lunatics that, that would think about doing that, but overwhelmingly landlords are in the business of renting space and collecting money for these rentals, right? So, you know, they have an incentive to keep the dentists around, you know, and, and while in some respects, the dentists may be in a little better position to weather a storm than the pizza place in the, in the strip center, um, they're the ones that are going to be there for the long haul. And ultimately, you know, landlords, when they're going to sell their building at some point, their transition plan is that they have good credit paying tenants and, you know, long-term leases. That's what dentists are. And so, you know, they have every incentive to keep a paying tenant in the space, if at all possible. But I think it also goes back to what you talked about earlier, Tommy. And it's just like, it's being reasonable with what you're asking for. If you show up and say, I don't want to pay rent for the next year, you're going to put the landlord in a bad place. But if you say, hey, look, you know, I apply for the PPP loan. I haven't gotten it yet. Um, you know, the governor said I'm not allowed to, to really treat patients in any kind of meaningful way. I'm not sure when that's going to end. I may need, 
you know, a break this month. I don't know what next month is going to look like. I mean, sometimes it's nice to get that, you know, two or three month guarantee from a landlord, but we're seeing a lot of clients too, just saying where landlords are saying, we're just going to have to wait and see, you know, we're doing this on a month to month basis. And, you know, if you're back open and seeing patients, we expect you to pay rent. And of course, that's the way, you know, it should be. But, uh, you know, it, it's really just going to, you know, come down to the fact that landlords don't, they don't make money off of evicting tenants, especially good tenants that pay during good t- normal times, because they're just going to have a vacant space. They're going to try to fill in today's, you know, wacky economy with, you know, or a lot of people that are looking to open new businesses right now, you know. And, I want to ask quickly, this really uh, great share for the dental audience. I know we're going to have another guest on soon, more about the practice valuations, but I'm, I'm just curious because you guys do real estate all the time. A lot of dentists are asking, you know, I had an LOI, should I renegotiate the price of the practice? Should it be open for a little bit? I'm just curious on the real estate end. People had a, is it the same for real estate? Someone's going to buy a building for $300,000 on March 27th. Are they now looking at a new type of appraisal for May 1st to buy it? Yeah. I mean, I don't know the, really the value of the, uh, the appraisal. It's really, you know, at a certain point in time, whatever someone's willing to pay for something and whatever someone's willing to sell it for, that is now the, the market value. I think that's, you know, really more valuable than the appraisal. What you're basically asking though is I had a deal negotiated at $30 a square foot 30 days ago. Should I do that deal or should I go ask him for 25? Yeah. Something along those lines. It's a decision that you can make if you want to. It might not be there. T- to us, the landlords hadn't felt enough pain yet to go do that. Right. Um, most of them are still holding strong. Um, there's been a few where we had deals at the goal line and out of the blue, the landlord said, look, I'll throw in another month of free rent right now if you guys will sign this week. Cause they're just, it was worth it to them. And that was their own personal assessment, right? Some landlords are not in a pinch like others. You know, you got a lot of merchant developers right now, their job, they go out, buy land, build a building, lease it up and sell it. And then they roll that into the next bigger project or two or three projects. Those guys are not typically hold guys. They're highly leveraged. They're in a different position right now. They may be willing to do something just to get the occupancy in there so that they can go try to sell this thing. And there's not a lot of those transactions going on in the investment sales market either. So they're all connected. Um, The way that I would approach it is for our clients, and we're doing this right now, is really just calling that broker or landlord and saying, my client is concerned. I know we've been working on this for three to six months, but they're really concerned that they're going to sign this deal and it's going to be a grossly over market deal. What do you think that we should do? Right. And that kind of puts the ball in their court because they've obviously been thinking about this. You know, they, they want that tenant too. And we want to be there. Nothing's changed on us wanting to be there and still wanting to have this practice. We've done all the due diligence on the demographics and the patient base and everything else. But I think it's a very valid question and concern and you've got to bring it up uh, because if you don't, there's probably a landlord down the street that is happy to swipe that deal if they can, who knows what their situation is in landlord. Some landlords don't have any debt on their, uh, on their, um, buildings. Um, and typically a landlord can survive with about 60% of the building leased. So even if they lost a couple, it doesn't mean that you, you know, have them in a a leveraged position, right? They they can handle that. They can wait it out. You, You just don't know. Um, that's why it does help to have a professional involved that, probably understands or has a way to figure out 
you know, the pain points of the landlord if you're in that situation. But um, it's a, once again, I wish I could just give you the answer of yes. And you should ask for $5 less a square foot and $10 more in TI. And if they don't give you that, they're terrible. But it's just, it's, it's not the case. And it also depends on where you are in the country too. Yeah. Sounds like a perfect nacho. JFO, just find out. Thanks. Yeah. Rob will ask you how we can get people. That's great, Tommy. And I think, you know, it, 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 the one thing, though, that is universal, and, and I think that you make a great point, is just I don't think landlords have felt the full pain yet. And uh, I think if people have an expectation now that there are, you know, fire sale, you know, pricing available on, on leases and real estate uh, purchases, that's not the case, you know. No. For all of our sake, I hope we don't get there. You know that things turn around fast enough that we don't just have a total crash of the market. But I, I don't think people should necessarily have the expectation that that things are going at, at you know fifty percent off right now. You know, yeah, um, no, not it's happening. definitely not there. Hey, Tommy, um, you know, thanks so much for uh, for being on the show. Uh, we had a couple of questions, and one uh, one of our amigos in particular had asked. Uh, do you have a way that you could share that template form with uh, our listeners and our, our attendees? Is that something we can uh, we can get a link to, or we can provide to to folks if they're interested? Yeah, absolutely. You just you guys just let me know how, and we'll get it over to you. You could distribute cool. it. Great. Yeah, if you could just send that over to me, and we'll we'll get it up in the uh, in the show notes for the podcast. So if you uh, after if you go to the dentalamigos.com, uh, we'll have a link to. Uh, uh, to, to the, the draft letter that, uh, that Tommy spoke about. And Tommy, thanks so much for, uh, for taking time uh, to be on the show. It's great to have you. I always love working with you. Yeah, thanks Tommy a lot, guys. Well, nachos yeah. in person next time. So nachos in person when we can travel. All right, I, can't wait. You got to go to Austin, Paul. That, 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 yeah. that would be a good road show for us. I like that. Uh-huh. Again, now, when the, nacho, now when the is clear. Nacho team's going to perk up for that one. Food trucks, everything. So, yeah, I like, uh-huh. I like that. I'll Two take places here that have some good nachos. <laughs> we'll be in the middle seat so we have proper social distancing and, uh, you know, and, and, and go yeah. a lot crazy. I like that. Uh, Very good. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Tom. Okay. Next up, we've got another uh, return amigo, Mr. Jerry Jones. Uh, Jerry is one of the nation's top experts on professional practice marketing uh, with over 20 years of experience. Jerry spends his time developing and executing market strategies for his private dental clients and his Clear Path Society members. His company, Jerry Jones Direct, is the number one internationally recognized membership-based boutique dental marketing and advertising firm focused on both patient retention and turnkey new patient solutions. They have clients in the U.S., England, Australia, and Canada. Uh, Jerry has uh, purchased, held, and sold dental practices over the years. And you know, we had Jerry on the show recently and a great chat with him on episode 63 about decommoditizing dentistry uh, and how to compete against the big chains and win. Uh, I think the, the playing field may be changing a little bit with that now, but uh, you know, it's awesome to uh, have uh, Jerry back uh, on the show and you know, welcome amigo and uh, thanks uh, for coming on. Jerry's going to be his his avatar is going to represent him, Rob, uh, throughout this. For this, just for Ariel told me, yeah, I might actually grab a quick snack. So you might see mine too. But welcome, Jerry. Just want to let you know before you guys start talking. Everybody could look at me for the next twenty five minutes. Then yeah, I'll be back <laughs> one second. <laughs> Jerry, thanks. Uh, thanks so much, Mark, for being back on the show. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, I'm excited to be here, and I I would uh, you know I 
I, I figured it'd be best just to have an avatar uh, up instead of a picture of me driving down the streets of Salem, Oregon. Uh, surprisingly, they're, you know, probably like everybody else's streets. Not a lot of folks around. Um, fairly, uh, of course, you know, we've got an emergency vehicle coming at me. So that's always good. Um, well, anyway. Well, Jerry, wow. You know, like the world has changed since you and I last spoke, huh? It sure has. I mean, you talk about craziness. I was really enjoying the conversation previously with Tommy and uh, his insight on uh, leases. Interestingly enough, uh, Rob, I've got another business that uh, manages commercial properties. And so we have several dentist tenants yeah. and um, they've all requested rent deferrals and they've all gotten rent deferrals. So um, very easy process. Actually, they, they contacted us asked about a rent deferral or abatement and we got back to them with, uh, with options for a deferral. Um, and ours is sort of hinged to when the governor of the state of Oregon lifts the ban on, uh, you know, basically on being out of your house because we are under, um, at this point, even though I'm not, we're under a, you know, a, a stay at home order. So, um, we've hinged all those agreements based on when that, when the governor lifts that ban. So, um, yeah, it's interesting times we live in. Yeah, and you guys, uh, you know, Oregon, I know, is, is feeling a lot of pain with, uh, with the response and, and you know, the, the virus itself. Uh, I mean, I think dentistry shut down in the middle of June, I think, that I see in, uh, in your state. Well, it's, it's starting to appear that it could be open sooner than that, and, and that's going to basically um, – the governors of the state of Oregon, Washington, California are communicating. They're trying to coordinate some sort of – you know, um, uniform reopening, if you will. Um, you know, Oregon, some areas of Oregon hit hard, you know, Portland, but Marion County, where I'm at, the capital, um, you know, 57 or 58 deaths at last count out of, you know, 1,500 cases total. So right. comparatively, we're not too bad. Um, but, you know, it's, it's every dental practice is closed. Every right. orthodontic practice is closed. And uh, all the pedo offices, we have a, a pedodontist that was trying to open a new practice. Um, in the middle of TIs and, you know, he can't get off the ground for a while. So um, it's definitely impacted every one of our tenants, but the good news is I think most of our tenants are in pretty good shape. Um, but I'm here to talk about marketing. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm sorry about getting off on that tangent. No, I just thought good. it was interesting that Tommy had, had addressed so many of the things that we're actually having to do for some of our tenants in that business. So yeah, thanks for but, sharing. Uh, I mean, like we all have different experiences and that's why we're doing, doing this theme on the show and just bringing people on to share their observations and, you know, and so, you know, you've been in the space for a while, Jerry, you know, you went through the, the 2008, 2009 recession. Uh, now, here we are 2020 COVID, you know, what as you know, a great marketer that you are, what advice are you giving to your to your clients? And what should Dennis be thinking about from a marketing standpoint at this point? Well, I, I think um, there's, and I'll leave to, I'll leave the, the topic of addressing things like preparing your team and, you know, that sort of thing. I'll leave that to other experts um, that I know you're talking to. I, from a marketing perspective, um, you know, number one is when the phones start ringing again, have somebody that's going to be answering it. The temptation is going to be to really skinny up your workforce, you know, to really only have the necessary people in the practice. But I can tell you from a marketing perspective and a cash flow perspective, the number one most important person in your practice when, you know, when things do get going again is going to be that front office person to schedule patients as efficiently as possible. And, um, and I think, 
you know, to make that phone ring, um, the bottom line is the communication has to start right now uh, because we could be, in some areas, we could be two weeks away. In other areas, we could be two months away from reopening. Um, but that communication really needs to stay ongoing. It, this isn't a time to, you know, to lighten up on your communication to your patient base. So we all have emails of patients. We have phone numbers of patients. Um, it's really easy to do a blog post, send out an email with an update, tell people to go visit your blog, or you have an update on when you're going to reopen again, or, or maybe some, you know, just some real simple tips on if they have tooth pain, what they should be doing. Anything to communicate care and concern to your patient base. So you can do it through social media posts. You can do it through, um, you know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever. You should be doing it through email on a regular basis. And I would say by regular at this point, I would say probably once a week, it would be just fine to reach out and uh, just give something of value to your patient base. Uh, and if you have the ability to do direct mail, I think right now is a fantastic time to do direct mail as well. We've had a number of our members send out um, a couple of different postcards. The first postcard was, we're open for emergencies. We do understand that dental practices are shut down for routine dental exams and that sort of thing, but we are open for emergencies. And I have a handful of clients who are staying busy, busy just doing emergencies and not, you know, not full-blown practice open, but, you know, a, a dental assistant, a person to answer the phone uh, and open the front door um, and they're seeing one patient at a time um, and, and they're staying open and, you know, they're, they're meeting their base responsibilities as far as cash flow goes. So if direct mail is in, is in the budget, get something out to your existing patients to indicate, hey, we're here, we're not going anywhere, we're going to be ready when this thing, re when we're allowed to reopen. And if you have an emergency, make sure you call us. We don't want to put you off because, you know, your health care is a, is a huge concern. Um, great dental health leads to great overall health. Um, so, you know, I think that message, as long as that's communicated on a regular basis in some fashion to your patients, you're going to be in good shape. I think it's a great point, Jerry. Have you, and I've been doing it, looking into it for my own practice. We try to have any of your clients, have they been using teledentistry platforms? Uh, doesn't have to be a brand name one, but how have they found utilizing that to handle their emergency phone calls, triages, and staying connected? Yeah, we have a couple of members who jumped on that right away. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why uh, he's as busy as he is right now is because he did make some some level of on-train. I don't know what platform he's using, so I, I couldn't share it if, uh, if, if I, if I, you know, even if I wanted to, I don't know. So, but uh, several of them have remarked to me, hey, I jumped on this teledentistry thing. I was hesitant before, really didn't have a reason to, and now um, I really don't have a choice. If I want to see people, it's really made it easy, um, and they're very happy with the results. And again, I have very limited details on that, but the, one, the couple that I know personally that have done it are very, very happy with it. It's great. And I, I found that, you know, I think it's just a great exercise. You know, some, some dentists are, are reluctant to try it. A lot of them are actually done at almost no cost that you could use these platforms because then you can use them afterwards to start when we get back into regular business of doing implant consults or cosmetic consults. Who wouldn't want to be able to connect with their dentist and ask questions about a procedure face-to-face uh, before coming in, I see that as just a total win for our industry. I agree with you 100%. And not only that, if you if you do fast forward three, four, five months down the road, how many more implant consultations can you do 
via teledentistry than you can dirtying up an operatory and wasting time, or maybe not wasting time, but taking time that you could otherwise be, you know, see two or three teledentistry cases versus one, you know, implant in the office uh, consultation. So I see it as a big win too. And, and I think in a lot of cases, when we have these sort of disruptions, it does open up opportunities that we've maybe pushed aside or maybe we weren't quote unquote ready for. Uh, so this technology could certainly replace that. Interestingly enough, um, my daughter is at the end of her orthodontic treatment. And so she's 23 months, 24 months into this, probably should have her braces off, but, uh, you know, a month ago. But when this happened, you know, we got a notification from the orthodontist. Sorry, we won't be able to see your daughter or your son. Um, however, we're going to stay in touch. And we've got some interesting things to share with you to help this process along. So um, I get a text message from Dr. Johnson, Cole Johnson's his name, great orthodontist here in Salem, Oregon. And uh, the, the, the question is, hey, Jerry, can you take these four pictures of Linnea's mouth and send them to me? So we took a couple of pictures, sent them back by text, and he sent a little note back indicating what he saw, what the process was going to be from here. So, I mean, it eliminated a visit that we couldn't have anyway, but what it did do is it made me feel as a parent and someone that wrote a check for, you know, five, six grand, I felt good about the fact that, hey, the orthodontist cares enough that he went out of his way, you know, got maybe a little uncomfortable and from a technological perspective and was able to make some headway with my daughter. So those little things, I think, are really important to patients at a time like this. Totally agree. Great, great point. Yeah. And, and we had talked about that when you were on the show, Jerry, just the importance of that, you know, these are human businesses, you know, and, and I think to the extent that, you know, you can act, you know, with compassion with your with your patients and the people that you're working with and dealing with, you know, normally, not always, but normally that that will that will pay back for you over time. That's for sure. That's for sure. Uh, Jerry, what kind of things are you thinking about in terms of obviously the message and the marketing message post COVID or as things are going to start to return to whatever the new normal is? What kind of changes are you thinking about or seeing uh, in, in what the, the, the approach is and what types of communication or what the message is to, uh, to patients? I think that's a great question. And frankly, it's something that every dentist should be thinking about because not thinking about it, I believe, is going to put up a barrier to your practice. And it's a barrier you just can't afford to have and you don't want to have to deal with. So I think moving forward from here, let's say, for example, in the state of Oregon, they lifted the ban tomorrow um, on elective surgeries, which is going to include dental practice visits. If they were to do that tomorrow, um, I would saturate every social media channel I had for my practice, indicating um, just what we do, the lengths we go through to clean and sterilize and protect not only ourselves in the practice, but our patients. So I would talk, I would explain in excruciating detail in, in some format. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, do you realize it takes 37 steps to sterilize an operatory after a patient visit? And it takes the average dental assistant 13 and a half minutes. Um, and during that 13 and a half minutes, they kill approximately 3 million germs. I mean, some, to make it sort of educational, interesting, but also to give some calm, uh, to, to prospective patients or to your existing patients. So um, I, I think one of the central focuses or central message that needs to be relayed to not only current patients, but new patients who might be considering a, a dental visit is 
the fact that your infection control standards are on par or better with a hospital. Um, and I would, I would go so I would go as far as I could to explain that, um, while obviously minimizing, you know, use of space. And, and I would, I would go one further and that would be, I would want to really lower the barrier of entry. So there's going to be some pent up demand and you're going to have patients coming, you know, calling right away to get in and finish appointments that they weren't able to finish and all that's great. But when it comes to adding new patients, um, there's going to be some barriers that they have. And the number one barrier is going to be financial. You know, 17 million people have filed for unemployment. Uh, a good number of those people are your patients. And it's not going to be easy for somebody to write a 500 or a thousand or a 1500 or a $2,500 check once this COVID crap is over. And so there has to be an understanding from, from the owner's um, mind. The owner has to have a mindset that my patients are going to be strapped for a while. So how I structure case presentation, the offer I make in my initial marketing to generate a new patient all have to be very low barrier. So I would go back to um, $1 exam, $19 exam and x-rays, free exam and x-rays. I would go back to making the sweetest offer I could in order to get a patient in the door. Because right now, money is gonna be the biggest issue I think that patients have, secondary probably to the, the, you know, the concern about, oh, what if I catch COVID or how clean is that, is that practice? So those are two big concerns I think that must be answered in marketing. Uh, coming up here in the next several weeks. The two things that I've been saying, and I just, you know, echo your message, patients are going to be afraid of two things. They're going to be afraid of the safety and afraid of spending money. And we're going to need to create uh, language systems and scripts to overcome those fears of both, those feelings of both, and capitalize on the wins that we can get. So I think it's just an, uh, an awesome message. Yep, I would agree. I think that's that's going to be it. Um, and, you know, cost is always a concern when people go to the dentist, but now they're going to be, you know, extra heightened. Um, and I think, you know, you got to be sensitive to that as a practitioner and you need to plan accordingly how your practice operates for that. And I think you're right on the money. Everybody in the practice has to be on the same page. The DAs, the front office folks, the dentists, um, the hygiene, uh, hygiene teams, everybody needs to be on the same page when it comes to these are the concerns our patients are going to have. We need to answer those in advance. We need, they need to be able to be just on a real frictionless type visit. In other words, you know, they're seen on time, they're cared for, they see cleaning taking place all around them, they feel comfortable, you know, and then when it comes time for the case presentation is, you know, you're gonna have to stair step them into it, doc. You're not gonna be able to throw a five or $10,000 treatment plan in front of them and have them, you know, have them say yes with a, you know, big happy smile. Um, there's going to be a lot of hesitation and a lot of, well, I can't afford that right now. Um, so you need to have, you know, you need to, you need to be aware of that and operate accordingly. I'd imagine too, Jerry. I mean, there's a benefit, obviously, once you get people in the door that they see that it's okay. You know, like, you know, it's not going to be a scary experience in the dentist's office. They get to see that, you know, the, the, uh, the sterilization is what it is and infection control looks good and the place looks clean and, it's a good way to, to gradually get them comfortable. I mean, if they don't walk in the front door, they're never going to know what's going on, you know, on the other side of the door. So it seems like an interesting strategy, obviously, just to get people comfortable, you know, at, at any price. I mean, a couple so of comments. Great- One is that maybe, you know, people will want to get their teeth cleaned and haircut when they're allowed, again, sort of capitalize that. And also, I think what Jerry was saying, too, is, you know, and I'm, I'm a fan of this from one of our comments is, you know, you don't want to necessarily market to just, get still be selective in who we target but like you said create a barrier a lower barrier to entry i was thinking of doing some type of exam type day 
you know, where I just had people in and do exams, existing patients too. So like you said, Rob, they could just see it's okay, right? You know, it's different to come in and just have an exam and some x-rays and pictures of your teeth taken and a conversation and focus on that, you know, health model versus coming in for three crowns. So I think that's just something important to keep in mind is how we reopen up in what sequence. And also like you, you were mentioning, Jerry, getting our team on board with all of our scripts. So perfect stuff. But, but you know, the other thing too, that, you know, it's also depends on the type of practice, right? I mean, I think that whatever you're doing at this point, there needs to be some sort of cohesive plan that yeah. you're going to follow through with, you know, and, and whatever that model is, that's what you need to start getting out there, you know? And, um, and I think it's important to be true to whatever your, your, your business plan is from start to finish, right? I mean, and, and it starts right here. It's for better or for worse, you know, it's a clean slate with a lot of stuff. Sure. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, to, to take uh, your point one step further, um, I think an excellent way to communicate to your patients that your practice is in fact a safe place, if you will. I, I, I kind of bristle at that terminology because it contrives, it just brings up other images in my mind about, you know, the, the anyway, I'll, I won't go down the political route, but to... to there you to can if you want, you know, this is a uh, safe space. <laughs> yeah, I know, I won't get I won't get things thrown at me, but... We don't uh, have, get, we don't have sponsors, time. Jerry, you can say whatever you want, you know, it doesn't matter. <laughs> All right, um, the, I guess for me, if I were in, in the shoes of a, of a dental practice owner right now, I would, you know, day one, I'd take some video, I'd have somebody taking some video with their iPhone, and showing and demonstrating what's happening in the practice, showing that there isn't, there are in fact people there, there's uh, staff there, employees there, the doctors there, and there are patients there. Take some video every day for a couple of days and post it on your Facebook page, or you know, utilize that social media that I hate myself personally, but does does help. Um, so post that kind of stuff on social media to show people that hey, it is okay, we're back in business, everything's great, nobody's got COVID here. We're taking temperatures at the door, whatever safety measures you think you need to take. Um, but I think showing that and demonstrating it is really the most powerful thing you can do aside from saying it, you know, in an advertising piece. So I, I would definitely go that route. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, yeah, I, I think people will need to see that it's not Chernobyl, you know, and, and however you need to convey that through pictures or video, it sounds like a great idea. Yep, that's right. I would agree. Yeah. Um, Jerry, it's uh, it's awesome to have you uh, have you back on the show. Uh, for for folks that want to learn more about about you and Jerry Jones Direct, how would they go about doing that? Uh, easiest way to get a hold of me is email Jerry at JerryJonesDirect.com. Uh, folks can also go to my website JerryJonesDirect.com and and uh, opt in for my my newsletter that comes out on occasion. Um, but yeah, email me is fine. It's it's great. And um, one of the cool things we're doing right now with our members. We've actually um, we've really pushed on our, our partners at our printing and delivery house, um, and we've also pushed um, upstream to the owner, to me, <laughs> and said, hey, everybody needs to take a pay cut. Um, so for the next several months, when we reintroduce new marketing programs at Jerry Jones Direct, we're going to be, I mean, we're, we're doing stuff that we haven't been able to price at for probably the last 10 years. I mean, we've, we've literally reversed our pricing to what it was 10 years ago on a number of our systems. So it's going to be a lot less money out of pocket to start marketing your practice. And we're just sensitive to the fact that, Hey, dentists have been shut down. I mean, there is no cash flow. So, you know, we've done everything we can to push that down and uh, really make it accessible for docs who are coming back and want to get cranked up. So that's just, that's just something we've got to do to, you know, 
to, to uh, help docs and, and get them restarted again when that time comes. Yeah, that's great. Good stuff. Thank you so much, Jerry. It's always a, always a pleasure to talk to you. My pleasure, guys. Thanks so much, Jerry. Good stuff, Paul. I mean, you know, this is, you know, all these people that we have on the show are people that have been in the industry for a long time. They've, you know, every one of our guests here, they, they've seen 2008, 2009. And, you know, this is a time that I really feel like it's important to work with people that have been in the industry and, and can really guide you through difficult times. You know, there are a lot of young practice owners and associates out there who have never experienced the pain in the economy ever. And you know, this is this is some real pain for sure. And, and as I'm excited for our next guest, I, it, I said this today with Linda Harvey, we're on the same nacho plate together. For the first time in dentistry, infection control and marketing and leases are all right next to each other. And there's a message that the dentist, the practice owner needs to craft and create and I think it's just a very unique thing. I mean, if you think about it, when did the OSHA person and the marketing person ever kind of be tied together? But they are going to be now because now we're going to be, and you know, when did the lease, when did the fit out person besides fitting out the office and coming back in 24 years, now it's a big with the lease and the, and the social distancing. So, yeah. you know, I think as I'm excited to talk to our next guest about practices and valuation and things like that. And this, it's just all, we're all in this, you know, wacky nacho plate together. Yeah, trying to figure it out. So, uh, yeah, our next guest, uh, Mr. Thad Miller, who is the founder and president of DDS Match, which is a, a national dental practice transition firm. Uh, DDS Match is now active in 36 states, and uh, they're one of the few companies to actually use a third-party business valuator as a, as a consultant, a practice transition consultant. Uh, they also use uh, a dental practice transition company using uh, – Charles, uh, Dr. Charles Blair's clinical treatment analyzer for clinical transparency and the uh, trusted transition process to guide the way. Uh, Thad is uh, an industry leader uh, for sure in the dental space with over 20 years of experience uh, in circles of influence span across the U.S., including practicing dentists, dental schools, manufacturers, suppliers, and beyond. And so, you know, as we're talking about people that have been in the industry and have seen the good, the bad, and the ugly, uh, Thad Miller is definitely one of those guys and uh, excited to uh, have you on the show today. Uh, welcome, amigo, and thanks for being with us. Thanks, Rob. I appreciate it. Thanks, Paul. I really appreciate the invitation and the opportunity to talk. Yeah, thanks, Ed. You're, you're, you're the people I've met through DDS Match as a broker myself just been all awesome and great guys and people and really, really have enjoyed that. What you guys do is, is great. We need thanks. dentistry needs more good dentists and people doing the, the right thing. Same thing with the brokering world. So excited to have you on as a resource. And as you were, uh, as we were preparing for this podcast, many questions right in your, in your wheelhouse of what's oh, happening sure. with valuation. Should people renegotiate prices? Do offices need to be open? I'll let Rod take the lead, but excited to have that kind of um, a resource like you on the show. Thanks a lot. That means a lot. I mean, on behalf of my 27 colleagues that do this together, uh, you know, we're, we're small business owners too. So, you know, we can empathize with what's going on and, you know, we're going through this together and we appreciate the opportunity to chat. 
Yeah, and I think as you said, you know, uh, we have worked with a bunch of uh, DDS match people, you know, over over the years, and you know, uh, at, at, like Thad, uh, really has a lot of folks that have been in the industry for for a long time, like himself, in different ways and different roles, and you know, obviously, uh, great folks to uh, to work with. We do a lot with uh, Joe McGonigal in our market here in Philadelphia, and uh, Todd and Cheryl Garfinkel over the years. Uh, so, uh, Thad, um, you know, obviously, it's the world is changing, uh, and certainly we're in a very uncertain place right now when it comes to practice transitions. And you know, people are asking a lot of questions uh, about just prices and what they should do on deals. Is now the right time to to buy a practice? You know, what should they be doing if they're at the LOI stage? You know, and so um, you just kind of kick it off. You know, for a long time, a recent time, I should say, it really has been a seller's market uh, when it comes to practice transitions. Do you see that continuing? And, you know, what opportunities do you see out there for for buyers and for sellers as things return to whatever the new normal is post-COVID? Sure, no, that's a great question. You know, one thing I've always said, I mean, you know, I started this um, this business in the recession in 2009. Prior to that, I was... Um, leader of a, a Patterson branch in Indianapolis. So 24 years experience. So, you know, seeing the uh, dot-com bust and the 2008, 2009, you know, the nice thing about dentistry is it's a relationship business. So, you know, one thing to consider if an interested buyer is looking at a practice and they're looking to buy it, um, you know, are those relationships still there in the market? You know, the dentist who has been in that that spot for 30, 35 years, worked on two, three, four generations of patients, you know, really in a dental transaction, it's not like buying a car or it's not like buying a house. It's, it's not like buying a, you know, a boat. Uh, you're buying uh, the goodwill of the practice, the location, the staff and everything that goes into that. In addition to the equipment and everything that, that goes into the valuation, you know, with our firm, we, I've never done an appraisal. You know, when I, when I have a client that hires me, uh, none of our franchisees, our partners, our professionals do the valuation. We depend on uh, CDAs, which is an extension on a CPA. We have a, a firm that we partner with, uh, Blue and Company, who does valuations all over the country for hospitals, for businesses, personal service companies like dentistry. And they're the ones that do the valuations for our practices. So uh, we go pretty deep into what's going on in the practice. And I think it's important to have that at any time when you're looking at, at purchasing something like this. And how it's been affected, it's hard to say. At this time, according to them, and they have their own standards on how they value businesses. But um, at this time, they're looking at this as more of an interruption of the business, not an, an entire change of the business. I mean, depending on how long this goes. So, you know, it's, it's too early to tell, you know, I think that there could be some situations where um, if there was a value on, placed on a practice, say six months ago, and we're looking at that same practice, you know, this summer, um, if the revenue returns to uh, where it was, you know, a year a year prior on a monthly basis, 
I don't think there's any reason why that practice's value is any lower. You know, obviously there's additional concerns, there's additional, um, all the things that your previous uh, person were talking about in the practice, there's got to be a change. You know, this is a time to evolve. And, uh, you know, but if, if that revenue returns on a monthly basis, there's no reason why that value is not there. Because in most dental practices, and not all, you know, there's a connective tissue there between the, the dentist owner and their patients. You know, there may be some practices that don't have that. Maybe they're running, you know, new associates in there every six months. You know, maybe it's a, an outfit that's owned by a, a corporation and they've had a lot of turnover. They don't have that connective tissue. They're going to be the one that's going to be probably most affected by this. Yeah. Uh, but, but for our clients who are usually, you know, the long-term owners of the practice, they've been active in their community. They've been active on school board. They've been doing a lot of those things. Uh, to maintain that value, um, I don't see why that would go away other than if they were heavily into cosmetic cases. You know, it's kind of like your, you know, two, two speakers before they were talking about, you know, are people going to spend money for certain things? You know, the last recession, I saw a big dip in those highly cosmetic type practices that were doing, you know, big cases and that there could be an effect there. But it's all about relationships and dentistry in my mind. Yeah, and it seems even for sure that you know, the good practices are still going to be good practices, and they're still going to be worth you know whatever they they're worth, you know. And so the practices that were probably a little marginal to begin with, they're going to feel more strained seemingly coming through this. I also feel like Paul and I were actually having a conversation about this yesterday. Yes, Paul and I do have conversation, folks, outside of the podcast about yeah. dental stuff, which is why we try to have a podcast. But you know, we we, we drifted into this this discussion, which is, I mean, I think that a lot of sellers are going to have to realize that, you know, you're going to have to, to do some things to get your practice back up and firing on all cylinders or at Absolutely. least back performing again post COVID. Like, I don't think you could just expect if you're somebody that's thinking about, let's just talk about somebody that's thinking one to two years out that, you know, like you've already mentally thought like, Hey, I'm going to transition my practice in the near future. And then, you know, bang, it's like a two by four to you know, the back of the, Hey, here comes COVID and now everything's upside down. I think that seller needs to be cognizant of the fact that they're gonna have to get up and, and do some things from a marketing standpoint, maybe you know, do some little things around the office, you know, that's gonna make Absolutely. it feeling, you know, so that it gets back to th- to where Oh, no doubt about it. I'm not saying it doesn't it's not gonna take a lot of effort. You know, I always when I talk to clients, there's no cruise control in dentistry. Um, you know, you always have to be pushing on the pedal and when we do speaking engagements, you know, it's important that, um, you know, I, I think they need to consider having some additional hours, you know, when they go back, you know, have those extra hours after five o'clock because the, the patients that are going back to work, they're not going to ask for time off to come to the dentist. So right. if they're operating it from an eight to four range, you know, Monday through Thursday, like a lot of practices are, they need to think about going till seven or eight o'clock some night and they maybe even need to have Friday hours and they need to provide more opportunities so the patients can get in there. And, you know, as you mentioned, more marketing, great tips from your previous um, uh, person on the, on the cast um, about, you know, advertising sterilization. I've been telling my clients about that. Um, but, you know, it, it's going to take it's going to take work. There's no doubt about it. But, you know, dentistry is a business, too. And it's not just a, a clinical setting where 
people show up. You know, the the best, uh, the most successful dental practices uh, apply the same, you know, procedures and processes that the successful businesses do. And that requires investment in marketing, investment in time, investment in effort. And that's that's going to be critical. I just want to share a really great insight there, but I, I play a few different roles. You know, I'm a practice owner. Hey, we outnumber Rob. Two practice brokers to, to, to one lawyer. This but is now, rare. This has never happened before. Yeah, you guys outnumber me, two, two advisors to one dentist. So if I'm playing different roles, dental practice owner, someone I'm always looking for practice opportunities. And I had, you know, practice transition deals that are now paused. So I want to say two things. One, you know, these pause transitions, maybe talk about some of the bank financing in a second. But before that, you know, I own a practice with my brother, two practices. We have to go back. We've got to get it going. We've got to see what happens with the team. So I think if you're a seller, you just may have to be mentally flexible with your time frame. Absolutely. This is the buyer's biggest decision of their life, right? Absolutely. And, and you know, Absolutely. it's two, the two ships crossing in the dental night. And I just think, I understand if I was a seller and I said, I'm ready to sell my practice April 15th, I just think they have to be very mentally flexible for two reasons. One is the feeling of the buyer, the feeling, right? But the other, I'd like you guys to give some insight into our audience. What is happening with the financing for these practices in a traditional sense? The ones that I'm involved with right now are paused, if that's the best word, maybe similar to you guys. But I'm just curious where you see this going with the bank financing for acquisitions coming up. No, that's a great point. I've been in contact with um, local banks. I've been in contact with nationwide banks and, um, you know, they're still bullish on, um, on dentists. You know, dentistry is a great uh, profession. It's the default rate is entirely, extremely low. Uh, and we're going to have some defaults with this. There's going to be some challenges. There's going to be practices that aren't going to open back up. We know that, but traditionally it's kind of like even two to, Two, two speakers before, you know, dentistry, their dentists are great uh, tenants for landlords because they stay and they don't change a lot and they pay the rent. So um, banks see that. And, you know, our professionals, uh, DDS match professionals, we have relationships on a local level with local banks that lend to dentists. We also have national relationships with banks like Bank of America, Lendever, um, you know, PNC from a regional standpoint, even. So they've all said that they still want to stay in this in this game. I think one big change that could happen from the financing standpoint are some of these large institutional lenders lending to DSOs and private equity firms that there's going to be some of that drying up. Um, they're concerned that, you know, essentially if, 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 uh, if they're lending large chunks of money that they're hoping for a payout down in the future, I've heard a lot of that's dried up. So I think that'll impact them. Whereas, you know, if you can, if you can look at a practice uh, that, that you're looking to purchase as a buyer and if it cash flows and you can prove that that revenue is there, you know, there's no reason that cash flow is going to, you know, stop altogether other than a situation like this, obviously. Uh, but it should be fairly repetitive. You know, dentists have an average of about, you know, three or 4,000 patients, i.e. three or 4,000 clients. You know, I always give an analogy, like if I was a, a fertilizer salesperson, I owned a fertilizer and I sold to, let's just say, farmers and golf courses. And, uh, you know, I might have, you know, 40, 40 clients, right? Well, if I lose 
10 clients because somebody new comes into town, I just lost, you know, 25% of my business. In a dental practice, there's, you know, three or 4,000 customers. So, you know, it's important for the dentist when they go back to really connect with those relationships too, you know, to really listen to their, their patients and really listen to uh, what their concerns are. And, and just like before, you know, be flexible on terms, be flexible on payment, but also, you know, make sure that connective tissue is there. Yeah, yeah. Good, point. I think, good point. I mean, I think what we are seeing, though, at least in the short term, Fed, is that, you know, lenders are going to want to see that the practice is open. Absolutely. Back. You know, like we actually had a few deals that closed right after the closures started, the, you know, the, the practice closures, where lenders were still funding deals for practices that weren't open for business, which I thought, wow, that's that's not going to last long. And, and it didn't, you know, and but, you know, ultimately, you know, especially when you talk about the, the big players in the space, you know, the BOAs, the Lendevers, or PNC or uh, whomever, you know, they, if they're not going to lend to dentists, who are they going to lend to at this point? point? You know, and so unless, unless the bank's looking to get out of the lending business, which that's, that's what the business, the bank is in, uh, I, I don't know, like they're going to start lending to restaurants instead of dentists, you know? So, you know, I, I think that, you know, and I hope obviously that for everybody's sake, that there continues to be financing available. But, you know, I think that just like with anything that we're talking about here, I think that sellers and buyers or buy, sellers rather need to be realistic in, you know, what the buyer's going through right now and what the buyer's lender is going to ask for in terms of the practice being open before they're able to close. I mean, we've had deals Absolutely. where people are like, well, we want to close in three weeks. Like, can we have a three-week extension? Like at this day and age, I don't know what a three-week extension is going to do here, seller. You know, like the world is not going to change enough in three weeks that we're going to be able to transition this practice. So let's talk about something that's that's more reasonable. But you know, obviously, as as you said, you know, dentists are low default rates when it comes to loans. They're low default rates when it comes to to leases. Uh, and you know, there's no indication that that's going to change once we return to what is a new normal. And I wanted to say, yes, uh, Thad, too, I, I've noticed this with our brokerage uh, firm, I'm sure you have too, we're also getting people reaching out to us who are interested in selling or transitioning where they may not have been if this hadn't happened, whether it's because they want to be spend more time with their family because they don't want to do these things. So I share with all the people who've had a lot of questions, is now a good time to buy a practice or now is the right time to buy a practice? It's always a good time to explore interesting opportunities. And I think that there's going to be a lot of unique opportunities that come out of this. And in knowing dentists from all different ages and stages, I don't know if you know my language, uh, Thad, but if you're a medium age dentist, you're mad. Uh, my friend on here is a seasoned age dentist. He's, he's a sad. And I think some of these sads are going to look to transition who might not have because they said now's the time. So for younger dentists or medium age dentists, it could be a perfect match for them. Hey, like your company, DDS Met. So. Yeah. Well, and, and again, any, any transaction we do, we want full transparency for a buyer. I and mean, that's part of that. I feel like that's our, one of our biggest roles. That's one of the reasons we have third party valuations down on the practice to show them exactly what's going on. So, you know, we want them to be comfortable timing wise on the opportunity. You know, we want obviously the practice to be producing when they purchase it. And, 
you know, we want to make sure that, you know, a lot of their fears are covered and we want our seller to help in the transition post-closing if they're there or if they're not, but even just in the introductions to make sure that it transitions because that's what our clients want. They, they want, they want a successful transition. They're not just looking for, you know, cash and, and moving on. You know, most of my clients are like, the last thing I want is to be cornered in the grocery store a year after I sell and say, you know, this guy's a hack and, and, uh, you know, <laughs> I can't believe you sold your practice. That's exactly what they don't want. So, you know, we're very intimate in the in the process of making the match, and uh, it's important to us. And it, you're, it's a great point that you made a while ago too. That you know, this is not like selling a gas station or a liquor store. There's a reason why dental practices or refer sales are referred to as transitions. You know, because you're transitioning the goodwill, and it is sort of more has more partnership aspects to it than, than any other business transaction that you're going to see between, between a buyer and a seller for sure. And we want the buyer to have good representation. Um, you know, like you, Rob, you know, we want them to have a good attorney, we want them to have a good advisor and, you know, all of our professionals in our, in DDS match, we represent the seller. You know, our job is to make sure that our, our client is emotionally ready, uh, financially ready and, uh, you know, really structurally ready to transition, you know, it's 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 our job to give that information to the buyer's representation so they can guide the young dentist through the process. And if they're not ready, then you know we don't we we want to win win. So it's important, I think, you know, is if if there are people out there looking to transition, they need to build a team. And that's one of the first things we do when somebody comes to create a profile on DDS Match. We like to connect with them and then introduce them to advisors in their market so they can help them in the process. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's really, you know, we've spent a lot of time on the show, uh, Thad, uh, Paul and I, uh, you know, just talking about the importance of working with good brokers and, you know, that it's, it's not surprising to hear what you just said. And that's the difference between working with somebody that's just trying to make a quick buck off of a practice or somebody that's in the space, you know, for the long haul. And, you know, ultimately nobody wants to be associated with a bad deal. You know, uh, regardless of whether or not there's a commission involved, you know, it, it, it really it's not good for anybody when when a practice transition goes goes south. And, you know, and unfortunately, most of the time I see it can be very easily avoided uh, if everybody's just kind of doing the right thing and and just being, you know, good sports about it, for lack of a, a better way to characterize sure. it. You know, this is not, we're not putting people on the moon with this stuff, you know, um, but, uh, you know, if you don't do it right, you know, then it, there's a lot of pain, you know, not just for the buyer, it's, it's a pain in the neck for, for the seller too. And, and you know, it's very, uh, you know, disputes are, can be emotional, they're time consuming, um, they're expensive, you know, and there's just no reason for it, you know, and if you're doing things properly, uh, you should be able to avoid that. Absolutely. Uh, Thad, so thanks so much for uh, for taking the time to come on. Uh, thanks for the invite. Yeah, and, and so how can uh, folks uh, learn more about uh, DDS Match? What you guys do, where you do it, and the, the services that you offer? Oh, I just they can just go to our website. It's just ddsmatch.com. And like I said, we're in thirty nine states, and uh, we've got twenty seven professionals with an average of about twenty two years experience in the industry. So uh, we uh, if if we don't uh, help you with the transition, we can definitely connect you to people who can help you make sure you make the right decision. Because ultimately, you know, we want dentistry to continue to succeed. Great. Awesome, Dad. Thanks for being on. Hey, thanks for the invite. Appreciate it. Thanks,
good stuff there, Paul. You know, and we we uh, have mutual uh, uh, contact with uh, with DDS Match folks, and I, you know, like that. I mean, they really get people that have been in the industry for a long time, understand dentists, and you know, it's it's one of those things that you know, if you're around long enough, you know, you get it, and you do enough deals, yeah. you talk to enough people, and you know, they they've really been able to to leverage. I think just a lot of the the, the, the leaders in their markets and, and, and uh, get them involved in the, in the practice transition space. Yeah, we need more good people doing it. And it's just such key. I mean, you can just tell from everyone's uh, tone today, which has been really, I think, valuable is that we're just in this just find out JFO type of world, which is uncertain for us. But the more information you have to arm yourself, whether it's asking about a lease, whether it's marketing, whether it's membership plans and whether it's brokering, the more prepared we're going to be for this uh, ACV world. Yeah, 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 for sure. And um, so, uh, batting clean up here, our, our best guest of the day. Uh, he was no stranger to webinars and podcasts, well, we could say. Uh, we have uh, Alan Schiff, CPA. Uh, Alan is the managing member of Schiff & Associates, LLC, uh, with over 35 years of experience in areas of dental practice management. Alan's services include business planning, to include obtaining financing, succession planning, exit strategies, and long-range planning. Uh, Alan has assisted dentists with practice acquisitions, startups, operational analysis, and associate contract analysis. He is also the president of the Academy of Dental CPAs, the ADCPA, uh, which can be found at the adcpa.org, which is a group of very knowledgeable CPA firms across the country that specialize in practice management services to the dental industry. Alan is also involved in the, uh, the practice transition space, so we can kind of follow up on some of the things that Thad was talking about. And um, this is uh, Alan's uh, first time uh, on the show. Uh, and, you know, just before we introduce uh, him, uh, Paul, I mean, goes to show how bizarre the world is. It's April 15th, and we have Alan Schiff. <laughs> yes, that's great. It's like a Sesame Street. What's wrong with this picture, right? You know, we've got a very busy, active CPA who on tax day is talking to us, right? So things are upside down these days. So um, without further ado, uh, welcome, amigo, and thanks for being on the show. Rob, thank you. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We should be having a glass of Manischewitz with some nachos right now. Yes, I, we definitely should. Well, look, I, I, I'm always prepared. I got nachos and wine right here. But it, it, I'm like, a, I'm like a, you know, camper, an inside camper. I'm good at inside camping. Anything you need inside, I have it. Outside, I don't know what happened. When social distancing is lifted, I'm coming over. I'm drinking a bottle with you. Yeah, you can. You can for sure, Rob. I don't know if it's going to make it that long. I'll have to buy another one, but yeah. I'm only 90 miles away from you guys. I may just have to come up 95. It sounds good, Alan. Well, guys, thanks for having me. Um, I'm honored to be here, and I'm so glad you asked me to uh, share my thoughts. It's been too long. We should be getting together more often, but thank you so much. And boy, I've really been busy with, um, you know, web webinars and just trying to explain everything that's happening on in the financial world. And um, I wanted to take a couple minutes just to introduce um the financing that's available for many dentists, they, they may not have a dental specific CPA, Rob, and they, they may not know um, what's available to them. So um, just briefly, um, you've heard the word IDLE. IDLE stands for Economic Injury Disaster Loan. Um, 
craziest thing with the SBA, they had a website up prior to March the 29th, and it was for the application of the IDLE grant. That's the $10,000 grant we all heard about. But the uh, website was really for hurricanes, tornadoes, and floods, and fires, and not income lost opportunities. So um, on Sunday night, March the 29th at 9.39 Eastern Standard Time, they changed the website. So all of us on the East Coast that were getting ready for bed on that Sunday night realized that the uh, folks on the West Coast would have a um, heads up because they would be able to apply for the IDLE grant uh, well in advance of those on the East Coast. So it went live um, Sunday night, March the 29th, and on Monday, March the 30th, everybody that had applied had a reapply. So just recently, uh, on Monday of this week, many of our clients, and when I say clients, I currently have uh, 265 clients in the Mid-Atlantic, but the ADCPA has 9,000 clients, over 9,000 practices, and just, just on Monday, many of our clients have gotten emails from the SBA saying you were awarded a idle grant. Now, there was a lot of uh, misunderstanding as to the grant. Everybody thought they were getting $10,000. Now we have more clarity uh, sitting here on April 15th, and that is if you have at least 10 employees, you get $1,000 per employee, so you get a $10,000 grant. But if you have six or seven employees, you may only get $6,000 or $7,000 because it's $1,000 per employee. So it's good for everybody to know. Uh, there was uh, $10 billion allocated out of the uh, $2 trillion stimulus for the idle grants. Uh, you can still apply, but I would suspect there's, uh, those funds are gone. Now, the next thing is, once you get approval for the idle grant, you have an opportunity for an idle loan. The loans are specific in terms of what you can use it for, particularly for payables, um, operating expenses like dental supplies, lab fees. You may have a credit card bill coming due where you normally would have paid it under normal circumstances, but now it's a good opportunity for you to pay that. You can use your, your idle funds to do that. You apply through the SBA, so you would just go up to sba.gov or you can Google SBA disaster loans. It's a very simple process. It'll probably take you less than a half an hour. You can apply up until December 31st of 2019. So you, you have plenty of time to apply for an idle loan. The loan is uh, priced at 3.75 fixed. It's amortized over 30 years. It requires a personal guarantee if it's in excess of 200,000. And it's only based, uh, Paul and Rob, on your credit score. So if you have a, a pretty good credit score, um, there isn't any reason why you wouldn't be approved. And uh, the financial information they ask for is 12 months worth of collections and 12 months worth of operating expenses. And that's it. Then after you apply for your either idle grant, idle loan, or both idle grant and idle loan, you have an opportunity to apply for the PPP loan. And Paul, it's like you explaining an MOD to me. It's the yeah, same real thing. Real quick, Alan, this is awesome. Just real quick, the first 10,000, is that a true grant, not yeah. a loan? Great question. Great question, uh, Paul. It is. It's a true grant. You don't have to pay it back. It is subject to tax, and it's not subject to tax, excuse me, it's not subject to tax. Um, however, if you do get the PPP loan, which I'm gonna share with you in just a second, it will, over, it will impact your overall forgiveness of the PPP loan. The PPP loan is so important because if you use it properly, the entire loan, um, almost 90 to 95% of it can be forgiven as long as you use the PPP loan for its intended purpose. Um, 
let me just digress for just a second, guys. The president signed, because the timeline is so important here, the president, president Trump signed the CARES Act on March the 27th. Under normal circumstances without the C-19 virus, the bill takes 15 days to cure. So you go from March um, the 27th, you have four days in March and then 11 days in April. April 11th would be the 15th day. By April 15th, the, um, the bill would have been signed. Department of Treasury, Internal Revenue Service, Department of Health and Human Services would have already weighed in on the bill and it became law sometime around April 11th, 12th, 13th, maybe even today, April 15th. But what happened was the SBA and the U.S. Treasury got together and they rolled out the PPP program while they were still dealing with the idol, and now everything converged at the same time, which is creating amazing confusion. So the PPP loan is really designed to bring our employees back from unemployment and put them back to work. And the way it works is, you file for the PPP loan, and I'll share with you the formula in just a second. It's administered by your bank, not the SBA. So you need a bank that's an SBA preferred lender. Uh, Rob, you mentioned Lendever, they're a preferred lender. You potentially could use Bank of America, Wells Fargo, PNC, uh, M&T Bank, uh, TD Bank, uh, Citicorp. There's, there's 1,800 banks, but most of the banks in the dental space are SBA preferred lenders. So you, you apply with your bank. The banker's actually going to be very lenient on credit and underwriting, not under normal credit and underwriting circumstances, and you'll get approved. So what happens is the SBA approves it. They, they, um, they notify the bank, and the bank's got to disperse the fund within 10 days. And, guys, i got to really emphasize today's April 15th. Not so much it's tax day, but things are going to change. And whoever's watching this in weeks to come are going to say, what are you talking about? It's not what it is today because it will change. I guarantee it will change. And here's the biggest thing. Um, if you get approved, let's say it's April 15th, and um, the SBA notifies the bank, the bank then gets the funds to you by April 25th, you have eight weeks from April 25th to use the PPP funds and have them forgiven. The problem is, let's just deal with eight weeks as April 25th to May 25th to June 25th. Um, you need to use those um, eight weeks worth of funds by June the 25th and be able to get your loan um, mostly forgiven. The problem is we don't see the C-19 virus coming down and many of us may not be back to work until July or August. So what would happen is, and the way this thing is just not working properly, is you would get the funds potentially April 25th, all your employees are on employment. If you wanted to use the funds for what they were intended for, you would pull your employees off of unemployment, you would use the funds, you would get forgiveness, and now June 25th comes, the funds have run out, so now you gotta put your employees back on unemployment. It just doesn't make sense. Alex, just quick sec, because I've been reading, is there any, if you use the PP and you bring your employees back to an empty dental office, which is just nacho nuts, but let's just say you do, <laughs> and they all can sit six feet away from each other and talk about uh, their favorite occlusion. Um, are you promising to keep them on for a certain amount of time past June 25th? I saw one paper or one thing said September 30th, but I don't know if that was bank specific. Um. That's a good question, Paul. I think what's going to happen, it's it's really a state regulation. I think Oregon shut down through September. So um, it really depends on the state. I just see um, I just see this whole program not working the way I mean, it's it doesn't seem to be, pro I mean, Rob and I talked about it. It doesn't seem to be helpful 
to a business that's not open. I mean, it's just, right. I like to, right. I need stuff explained to me like a four-year-old, like Denzel Washington, <laughs> Philadelphia. Why do I need money for something that's not open? I understand rent. Obviously, we just had someone talking about leases from Excite Realty, but that's only 25%, 75%. Just the core thing seems if your business is not currently open, it doesn't seem like the PPP loan is going to be very helpful to you. Right, right. It doesn't seem like it's going to be helpful to you. We're developing strategies within the ADCPA, the Academy of Dental CPAs, to figure out how we can maximize the use of the PPP funds. So, Paul, let me let me just share with the listeners uh, the way you determine um, approximately what your PPP loan would be, and many of you have already applied. And uh, one of the things I want to really, really stress today is that I was told yesterday the PPP funds are going to run out tomorrow. There's 349 billion allocated, and as of 12 o'clock today, um, I think uh, 250 billion have already been dispersed. So, and keep in mind, we're not—it's not just dentistry. We're competing with all the um, major industries, restaurants, anything dealing with tourism, travel, airlines, Las Vegas, NHL, NBA, uh, Major League Baseball, the XFL, the NASCAR. Every one of these industries, cruise ships are all vying for this $349 billion. So I, I really feel that if you're on this call and you haven't met with your CPA, you really should contact your CPA and create a strategy whether or not you care to apply for the PPP loan in, you know, now. The formula is 2.5 times your average monthly cost made up of four things. It's your, um, you take your average payroll over 12 months and divide it by 12. It's limited to if your W-2 is 150,000, you only get credited for 100,000. So any of you that have W-2s that are three or 400,000, you only get 100,000 for Just to time. ask, if you're not, because I, I appreciate all this, and I know you've been doing this, uh, if you're not an S-Corp and you're LLC, is it any owner can recoup this or only one that classify themselves as W-2s? You're the man. You're asking great questions. Thanks. I appreciate this every <laughs> Great week. questions. Hey, Rob. <laughs> so, um, if you're an S-Corp, you get a salary, so it would be your salary, but if you're a partner in a partnership, it effectively would be your K-1. If you're self-employed, it would be your Schedule C. Uh, if you're self-employed with employees, you have your employee salary plus your Schedule C. Um, so, uh, when Rob originally contacted me, he says, Alan, spend five minutes on this, and it's hard to do it because it's so much to share. Well, I know my I'm people. i to do my this, best. This is what the yeah. people want, Alan, because everyone is in a state of confusion. I mean, I made a, I thought it was a funny tweet that I feel like the government makes up a game like my five-year-old where home base is safe. And then when I get on it, it's filled with hot lava. And I mean, they just change the rules. So I appreciate you breaking that down. Here's the thing. And it's good to understand always to be an informed consumer. But I think the important thing here is it is confusing and you need to work with your, your, your CPA on yeah. this stuff. Like, I mean, can you figure this out and DIY it? Absolutely. You know, I don't know how many hours you want to spend on it. You might get it wrong. If you get it wrong, we don't know if you get a second chance. Like, it just, you know, for me, it's like, uh, you just, you just got to defer to, to Alan or somebody like Alan that, that understands this stuff. Let them spend hours and hours and hours following it because it changes daily, as Alan yes. says. Yes. And that's, you know, I mean, it's, you know, it's just so bizarre, you know, how different. I mean, I watched your first, uh, 
the webinar you did for the ADA because I was like, what's that was like the first one. Like, what's going on with this? Yes. And then it was like a couple of days later, well, it's not that anymore. And then the government's <laughs> like, it's not that anymore. And so it's sort of like I just stopped tuning in, you know, I like know. Well, let somebody else take care of that because I mean I can't I can't keep up with it. But there's now, Rob, you're right. There's so many you know, changes. Yeah. But our first webinar with the ADA was like March the 26th or 27th, but it's changed uh, 360, degree, 360 degrees since then. Oh, yeah. Um, but, no but the formula for the listeners is you take your average monthly payroll adjusted for this $100,000 uh, threshold, add all of your health insurance that you pay on behalf of yourself and your employees, um, the monthly amount of that when you average it, the average monthly... 401k match or the simple match. And here's the thing that's very confusing. They talk about state taxes, but they're only talking about state unemployment taxes. So depending on what state you live in, if you do have state unemployment taxes, you would add that up. So your salaries, your health insurance, your 401k match and or simple match and your state unemployment. You get a number, uh, that's your average monthly, to multiply times 2.5 and that becomes your PPP loan. And what... Um, what Paul was saying was this, you have to be able to spend 75% of your PPP loan on payroll costs and 25% on other expenses. So let's say just for math purposes, so to make it simple, you get a 100,000 PPP loan. Over the next eight weeks, 75% of that or 75,000 gets spent on payroll costs, which are defined as gross payroll, your health insurance, and your uh, 401k match. And the other 25% guys get spent on rent, utilities, um, any interest on uh, like mortgage indebtedness that was as of February 15th of 2020. It would be 25% of that. So it'd be rent, mortgage interest, and or uh, utilities. Utilities are defined not necessarily just gas and electric. It's defined as internet usage, you know, like your internet service and also a telephone. So, um, so you should meet with your CPA. And if you're able to meet the 7525, that's the first one. And then, uh, Rob, as you probably know, you need your full-time equivalents as of February 15th of 2020. Right. So that was really before the, the pandemic really hit. So if we had 10 employees on February 15th of 2020, you need to have 10 employees um, uh, employed by the end of June in order to get um, uh, almost 90 to 95% forgiveness. So... Um, otherwise, it gets prorated, right? For, yeah, otherwise, it gets prorated. Exactly. Right. Um, so that's really when the idle and the PPP, um, you can surely go up to um, ADA.org and you can see my webinar for, that I've done several for them. And the ADCPA has webinars that we've done. And of course, on my website, we have them. And so you can surely get for, further information if you all need it. So, um, I want to give everybody at least the financial side of this as an update. And I'm sorry I used more than five minutes worth of time, but I, I wanted to really be able to share with your listeners that um, this is something that is semi-urgent, particularly if somebody was like on the fence of applying for the PPP loan that the funds are going to run out either today or tomorrow and they need to apply as soon as possible. Yeah, that's, that's good info. So yeah, reach out to your CPA for sure. Uh, you can even do it on April 15th this year without yep. offending them, I'm pretty sure. Yep. Uh, but Alan, so uh, you're obviously been doing practice transitions for a long time uh, from an accountant standpoint. Now, uh, recent times you got more involved in the practice transition uh, space. Uh, 
as a broker. Um, are we still in a seller's market? Mm. Well, that's interesting. That's an interesting comment. You know, I go back to 2008, like Mark was talking. I, I see us, when we come out of this, I see folks that were selling, pulling their practices off the market because they've lost so much wealth in the stock market. Uh, they don't have the necessary confidence that they had prior to, say, March the 16th or 17th. I see them working another year or two. Um, I see where practices, we're thinking about bringing on associates, made pause. I feel very, very sorry for the dental school students that are graduating right now. Uh, as you guys know, I, I teach in um, th four schools right now, and I see the dental school students, and uh, boy, they are well-trained, well-educated, lots and lots of enthusiasm, and I can only imagine what's going through their minds uh, as, we, as we start to pray approach yeah. May and June uh, when most of the school's uh, D4 classes would have graduated. So I see this whole space changing. Um, I don't see anything, pro I don't see any problems with dental lending uh, that you may have talked to um, the folks at um, DDS Match. And um, the reason being is that the national failure rate in dental loans up until this point is 0.003%. Right. So it's less than 1%. A dentist pay their bills, dentists pay their loans. Um, but you know, it's interesting. I've talked to the head of one of the largest local banks on the East Coast that, that lend to dentists. And I talked to him last Thursday and he said, you know what, we could use 2,000 more employees because we can't process these PPP loans quick enough. And he says, all the guys that were in and gals that were on practice acquisition, practice sales, um, have all been retrained on the PPP loans and we have stopped processing any acquisition or sale loans right now because we are just inundated with requests on the PPP. I wanted to share a quick story. My, my sister's still on here, Alan, but she has a great friend who's a, um, a colorectal surgeon in New York and now he's in the ICU, helping in the ICU. And I kind of like think of it the same way with these lenders, like everyone's on this new thing, you know, medical on treating the virus and the bankers, we you know, are trying to figure out the PPP and I, you know, as it goes along and the instructions are confusing. So it's almost like people are distracted, not almost, they're distracted from what they're trained to do. Whether Absolutely. you're a colorectal surgeon in New York or whether you're a, a, a Bank of America or Lendever practice loan person. So I, I, I think that's, that pause and momentum, I think will have a impact on what happens when we get back to business and we're open. Yes, I agree. Um, in terms of practice valuations, and Rob, you know I do a lot of that. We've worked together on that, and I love doing that. And um, you know, I uh, I find it like an amazing challenge. It's like a 500-piece uh, jigsaw puzzle, and you have 499 pieces, and you're trying to figure it out just to get it done. Yeah. Um, but you know, the biggest challenge I see is the due diligence phase. You know, the practices prior to um, March the 16th of 2020, all the practices that we represent were doing fantastic in January and February. Fantastic. I mean, they hit the ground running. Every practice was up uh, for the first couple of months in 2020, and now they're going to have to be retooled. We're going to have to get re-educated on the PPE equipment. We're going to have to understand what sterilization is all about. We may not, may, may not even need a reception area. We may just have one patient 
patient gets discharged and the next patient enters. We may not have people sitting around. We may have to put 10 or 15 minutes in between appointments. Um, we may need this negative pressure type of rooms. We don't know. We don't know what the costs are going to be uh, to do it. I don't know um, what the capitalization is going to be, you know, in order to be able to meet whatever the requirements are. So all that's going to have to be rethought out. And when you look at valuations, it was easy because, Rob, as you know, if a practice did a million in 2017, a million in 2018, a million in 2019, why wouldn't it do a million in 2020? Right. You know, uh, it's not going to be that simple because we're going to be closed for a couple of months. So the practice that was doing a million is now going to do 800,000. And um, you know, how are the banks going to look I at that? I want to bring up as we, I know sure. people can enjoy overtime here because, uh, you know, we, we're all, we, uh, we can have some overtime podcasts with Alan because it's so valuable. I mean, I own two practices with my brother, right? And I've owned them and run them. And if someone said, Paul, what would you pay for your own practices in some fight club way, you know, I'm the owner and the buyer, I'd be like, I don't know. I got to go back and work at them. My hope is that they get ramped back up because we were doing very well in January and February too. Uh, but now I just, I mean, what's interesting, and I just think people forget about the human element and maybe because I am a dentist and I see my team and I see the patients, we've had a, something's happened to dentists outside of money that's never happened. We haven't been in our offices with our team and patients for 30 days. Think about if you don't play a sport for a period of time. It doesn't mean you're not good at it. It just means there's going to be a whole impact to going back to work. People could have enthusiasm. People could be excited, which they will. But as you mentioned, there's going to be infection control regulations. There's going to be social distancing regulations. So if you said to me, Paul, what would you pay for your practice? I'd say, I, let me find out. Let me work for three months. And hopefully maybe there's a pent up demand and it'll be more. Maybe I can only see there's a real challenge. We might only be able to see half as many patients as we used to see no matter what for a few months, you know? So right. I think your points are really good ones. Thank you. Well, you know, the thing too, though, I mean, uh, I mean, there are a lot of questions that, that uh, our attendees have, have, have asked about, is a practice worth as much? I mean, I, I don't see how it can be worth as much yeah. as, as, like, as we sit here today. I just think it's a matter of how much less. Right. We don't know. I mean, if a practice was producing a million dollars in revenue prior to, to the coronavirus, um, uh, we don't know if, if that's going to look, if they're going to produce 900, 800, 700 after. We know that, I think that we can all have know or anticipate that overhead is going to be higher. Right. Uh, it's going to be more expensive to run the office. So right there, I mean, it seems like the profitability is going to decrease and that's going to be a, you know, that's got to make it worth less. But, you know, to me, you know, and I think this is what a lot of dentists don't realize, uh, Alan, is that when you're doing a practice valuation, you're looking at past numbers, trying to predict the future, right? right. Because we don't know what's going to happen, as you said. Um, and, but here, you know, I, I feel like, you know, we don't know how big of a drop there's going to be. So if you're trying to buy a practice today while everything is in this complete chaos, it's worth less than it was on, on February 15th. But to me, I wonder, you know, in the market, are we going to start talking about allocating that risk, you know, and, and, and the seller accepting some type of risk in that regard? You know, right. generally over, over time, DSO deals have been more structured where there's going to be an earnout, 
with a requirement that certain revenue benchmarks be met post-closing. So if a practice did 950 before, they're going to need to do at least 950 or something close to that after. Otherwise, the seller doesn't get all of the purchase price. Right. Here, I feel like, you know, if a seller was doing 900 before coronavirus, they can't expect to sell their practice for 650 and just get cash on the barrel and say to the buyer, hey, oh, good luck. You know, I hope I hope this pans out for you. I mean, I feel like there needs to be some sort of, you know, acceptance and sharing of that risk from in an owner operator deal, more like what DSOs were structured for a long time. And like, as we always say to our clients, you know, you might hate the big corporate players, but you know, it doesn't hurt to look to them to try to get some ideas as to what, you know, what some good business and economic decisions look like, because that's what they do, right? Right. So with owner operators, while that has been something that we've all really bristled at, you know, whoa, you know, an earn out, a seller note, like, ugh. But I mean, who's going to accept the risk of what it looks like for the next year or two or however long it takes to get back to pre-COVID numbers? Right. I agree. And um, uh, Paul, something that you mentioned, you know, we've been out of our offices for 30 days. I would hope that the the attendees are at least staying in touch with their, their team members at least weekly. Yeah. Uh, to give them reassurance that we're going to be okay, we're going to come back to work. You know, I'm working with my CPA. I'm working with my attorney to make sure that everything's in place. Um, we we got to be careful because in our markets, we have big, big corporations that, that are hiring. And we do run the risk of losing employees, particularly chairside and front desk. You have Amazon hiring 100,000 people and you have CVS hiring 50,000 people and Walmart is hiring. And some of our employees may not want to come back in our environment for whatever reason. Um, and they may choose to leave us. And you know, our number one asset in our practice is not operatories one, two, three, or four. It's not the autoclave, it's not digital radiography, it's our team. And we have to be cognizant of our team and protect our team, particularly if you have the A team. Um, I would suggest that you all stay in touch with your A team um, to make sure that, um, that they're reassured that they're gonna have jobs when we come back and we're gonna take whatever measures are necessary, particularly within the CDC guidelines to make sure it's safe for not only for our patients, but also for our team. Yeah, I, I think that's a great sort of wrap up for what we've been talking about with Rob and everyone. And really, Alan, you shared, you know, the theme is that we all have to be mentally flexible, practice owner, associate, employee, banker, attorney, um, you know, accountants. And I just think we're in a state of where mental flexibility, which you've worked with a lot of dentists, Alan, mental flexibility, not always our strong suit, right? <laughs> you said the deal was going to close on January 20th. What's gone wrong? Uh, it's the 21st. It's only a little longer, right? right? You know, and I think that that's just a good overarching theme of this third day of mental flexibility, finding out and being prepared, like Rob, you said, to try out different things in your practice whether it's in a transition space or your dental space to be successful. Yeah. 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 Uh, just a couple, can I give a couple closing comments before sure. we, we call it? Um, I really feel that practices right now, while they're down, should be really working on their marketing strategies, uh, particularly for the, um, the solo practices, the independent practices. Uh, you need to reclaim your space. Uh, think about, uh, uh, potentially bringing in a membership plan. I think we mentioned that earlier in today's segment. Membership plan is really, really important. It creates affordability within your practice. I do see um, employee, employees or our, our um, patients uh, losing 
employee fringe benefits and probably the number one fringe benefit they're going to lose is dental insurance. So uh, if they're going to lose dental insurance, you probably ought to, if you don't have it, uh, think about bringing in a, um, a membership plan. I think also you may want to think about entering your office through the front door as opposed to the back door and look how it looks from the patient's perspective, uh, particularly now with um, everybody being so aware of um, uh, the cleanliness of the office, uh, the social distancing, um, anything dealing with sterilization or aerosol, you know, within your office, you may want to even do a video and put it on your website to show how you're managing this and how you're going to improve upon it. I would definitely uh, keep your website up. You're thinking about cutting costs. I would not cut your website hosting out and you may want to put a C C19 icon or C19 blur on your website just to share with your patients uh, that you're staying ahead of, um, of, of all the different suggestions that everybody's making in terms of making sure that your office is, is ready to go. And um, the last comment I have is um, I just think that we have to reassure our team um, that they do have jobs when they come back. We have the financing in place to be able to afford them. Um, they can't stay on unemployment, uh, particularly when we open our offices and um, many of them will want to stay on unemployment because they're making more money now on unemployment because they get their state unemployment plus a $600 stipend from the federal government. But we also have to reassure our employees that we have a safe working environment at the same time. And um, I appreciate you guys having me. And um, if we have any questions in the chat or any questions that want to that folks are asking, I'll be happy to answer them before we conclude. Yeah, I think we covered everything. Yeah. You know, and uh, the practice valuations and questions that people had on the uh, the PPP. I think, I suspect that you probably say PPP in your sleep now, Alan. <laughs> oh, my God. Now, make sure you tell us. I, I'm really glad to put a face, a virtual face. You've always been a really kind contributor to Dental Notch. I appreciate it. How can people reach out to you if they have some specific oh, questions? Oh, that's so nice. Thank you. Thank okay. you. Um, they can go to my website at shiftcpa.com or they can email me at ashift at shiftcpa.com. I would encourage them to go to the ADCPA website, which is adcpa.org. We have uh, 24 member firms throughout the United States that represent in excess of 9,000 practices. We have a awesome, awesome podcast uh, hosted by Art Wiederman, Arts Out of Los Angeles. And uh, the most recent ones are all dedicated to the PPP and idle loans. About a year or so ago, I did one on, unfortunately, uh, fraud and embezzlement in a practice. Not a good subject, but you should listen to that. Not because I, I, I did the uh, podcast, but because uh, the latest statistic is one in six practices does have some form of, of fraud or will have some form of fraud or embezzlement. And the problem is we trust everybody. We don't set up internal internal accounting controls to protect our, our assets. Well, just but share one more time the ADC, ADC, ADC website. ADCPA.org. And when you go to the website, you can just either click on your state or, or find a member. And we have members throughout the United States. I will tell you, um, besides my family and my employees and my clients, the ADCPA is like really, really dear to me. I, I co-founded it in 2001, right after September 11th, ironically. And, um, uh, it's given me a wealth of knowledge uh, and a wealth of um, intellectual property I never would have. I have the brightest of the brightest members, and 
we share because we don't compete in any any of our markets. So it's just an open open sharing. Um, and surely the ADA.org would be a good website as well. We constantly are doing updates. Oh, there's one thing I got to share with you guys because this is breaking news. So um, the ADA just wrote a letter to Pelosi, um, Mitch McConnell, and Chuck Schumer. And the letter stated um, that uh, the 200,000 dentists in the United States just cannot uh, work with the PPP loans as they're designated. Because if the dentists have to start using the funds within the next eight weeks and all dental offices are closed, then the PPP loans are not being used for what they're intended for. Uh, this letter is going out today. It will be pay- posted on ADA.org. And we're hoping that all the other major industries will write letters, just like the American Dental Association did um, on writing the letter to Congress to ultimately tell them that we need to extend this eight weeks. The eight weeks should begin not when the funds are distributed to our practices, uh, uh, Rob and Paul, but when, when, when we go back to work. So if we don't go back to work until July 1st, from July to August 1st to September 1st is when the funds should be used and not now. It's just, it just doesn't make any sense. I'm hoping all the other industries, particularly restaurants, think about restaurants, guys. Take, take us out of dentistry. Our favorite restaurant, we're talking about nachos too, right? But our favorite restaurant that sells nachos, right, is closed. So they're going to get their PPP funds and all their employees are at home. What are they supposed to yeah. do with these funds? And it makes oh, no yeah, sense. And, you, and then the other thing is, guys, if we start to use them now because they won't change the law, we're going to pay a front desk $20 an hour, a chair side 18 an hour, and a hygienist $45 an hour to sit home. Yes. Yeah, to use the funds. Unintended consequences. So – Appreciate it. We like breaking news, Alan. Thanks so much for all your, your contributions. Really appreciate it. Thank oh, my you. pleasure. Great to see you guys, and thank you all for having me. And everybody stay well and stay healthy, and look forward to talking to you guys again. Us too. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much. Paul, okay. Another uh, great show here, a full yeah. docket of uh, awesome uh, industry leaders. I think, you know, some recurring themes this week, you know, people really talking about the importance of marketing and getting out in front of uh, marketing, you know, as you have a strategy for when you open back up, you know, what type of marketing you should be doing and, and how to go about that in a proper timing. You know, it's just so important as we've talked about a number of times pre-corona too, that, you know, you need to be purposeful with this stuff. And um, now more than ever, uh, it's really crucial. And what Mark said was something, a concept I was mentioning a number of times, but he, he brought it to life in a little bit different way, which has had an impact on me. You have to think of your business before, you know, a recession, during it and after. And right now you kind of have to think of, you have a business during the coronavirus crisis, which we've learned today, there's just a lot of things to dig into, uh, strategize and do things to get ready for after. And I just think that mental flexibility and all the great assets, all the input from these great assets was just fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, what we're seeing is the people that are doing things well are going to survive and thrive. And the people that don't, uh, don't adapt, uh, will not. And, um, and, and so, you know, I don't think I think it's really important too for people that are sellers out there to realize, you know, and it's it's brutal, you know, if you were kind of near the goal line, and you felt like, you know, you were going to do a deal soon and, and be able to transition your practice you're going to probably have to go back and do some work for a while and you might have to spend some money. You're going to have to spend some time getting the practice back up and open and open in a meaningful way. I mean, right now these lenders are not lending to closed practices. 
we don't know what it, when they say that we want to see that the practice is open, I guarantee you, they don't want to see you, you know, doing, you know, four hygiene checks in, in a day. Like that's not going to count to get a million dollar loan to buy a practice. It just means not yet. I mean, it just means, you know, it's not so discouraging. It doesn't mean never you're going to sell your practice. It just means we have a not yet. And we're all in a not yet, whether you're medium age, seasoned age or, or, or starting. So thanks yeah. again for doing this, Rob. Really awesome. Yeah, thanks everyone for joining us and stay safe and uh, stay sane. And we'll be back next week, I think, with another uh, post-COVID show. Perfect. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for listening to another great podcast with The Dental Amigos. And don't forget to tune in next time to have the dental business demystified. If you're looking for more information about today's podcast, you can find it on thedentalamigos.com. If you're looking for Paul, you can find Paul at drpaulgoodman.com. And if you're looking for Rob, you can find him at yourdentallawyer.com. This podcast has been sponsored by Orange Line Media Group, helping dentists and other professionals create content people love. Find out how we can help you take your business to the next level at www.orangelinemg.com. Till next time.